Blog Talk Radio. You're watching The Madness of a Lost Society. November 26, 2010. Black Friday revealed yet further evidence of the complete madness of the populace of our lost society. In case you didn't hear, the leaders of China and Russia. China and Russia said that they are renouncing the dollar. The best way to think of it is a ticking time bomb. At some stage, the dollar will fall sharply. Now you might be saying, Neil, what the heck does this mean to me? As the dollar loses status as the world's reserve currency, as mystery missiles launch just off our shores, as North and South Korea take the world to the brink of war, as the TSA violates all measure of liberty and constitutional rights, and as the U.S. military itself prepares for the coming total economic collapse and breakdown of civil order, this is what Americans care about. Wanton, lustful commercialism, acting like animals fighting over trinkets made by human beings for slave wages. As you watch this horrific video, do you think any of these people own a single ounce of physical precious metal? Any gold? Any silver? Do you think that even one of them understands what the Federal Reserve is, or that the Fed is spending them into oblivion and economic slavery? Do you think even one among them has made any preparations at all for the day when there is no food on grocery store shelves? And do you think the morally bankrupt executives at Target or Walmart even care? This is what we've become. A decadent, mindless culture who, by virtue of this complete and willful ignorance, are now officially complicit in the crimes being perpetrated against us. Do you think these people who behave like animals, literally trampling each other over $198 laptops and $10 toasters, will even pause for a moment to consider their actions before they riot and burn entire cities when the days of hyperinflation finally arrive? When the grocery stores are bare? When they are truly desperate? This, my friends, is what a dumbed-down, morally bankrupt, completely broken society looks like. And this is how it behaves. No outrage over the bankers raping them. No outrage over their gutted industry. No outrage over their plundered dollar. Just blind, wanton stupidity. Just bread and circuses. The elite are social Darwinists. And they believe what they can get away with is fair game as long as we allow it. This is social engineering, and they've done it to us by design. They've turned us into animals that they can corral. We are no longer citizens in a republic safeguarded by our elected representatives. We are consumers feeding at a corporate trough managed by officials. Will you tell the American people to whom you lent $2.2 trillion of their dollars? Hundreds and hundreds of banks, any bank or that has uh, access to the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve system. Tell us who they are. No. If this is America, who will stop them? Our entire system is corrupt and needs to be dismantled and begun anew. But from what base? If what happened on Friday across America is any indication of the condition of the American populace, then our very foundations are built of sand. May God forgive us for what we've become and for what we've allowed to happen to our nation. And may those of us with the courage and sense to do it renounce this behavior and the monstrous marketing ploy that is Black Friday in its entirety. This, my friends, is not us. We are the Republic. We are the informed. We are the proactive ones. And it is our job to lift up those who are lost. And saving our Republic is a full-time job. May God bless the Republic.
Greetings from the Sons of Liberty. We received this communication from the Rogue Nation and Eternal Militia. It is an open letter to the New World Order. You have had control for so many years, played your war games, making money off both sides of the wars, robbing the common citizens of this nation every way we turn, our gas, our food, our utilities, our toys, etc. But the internet has turned out to be your own worst enemy. We know you now. Patriots like myself have researched and found out who you are, where you work, where you eat, where you live, where you play. We watch you every day. We are the guy sitting in the car across the street. We are that new guy who just joined your church or came to work for one of your companies. We live for the day when you will be dealt the same level of evil and cruelty you have been dealing all of humanity. You may know everything about us too, but we don't care. I pray that you try to round me up for one of your FEMA death camps, for you would rather tickle a tiger's ass and set a phone booth than try to take me alive. We fear you not. We may wait on you to make your first move to try to take our liberties, or we may go ahead and strike first and remove you from the face of the earth. All your money and power will not protect you from our vengeance, which we will have very, very soon. You forget there is strength in numbers. You forget there are still American patriots by the millions who will never submit to you or be your slaves. You forget about the 200 million firearms on the streets of America. All you New World Order thugs combined, Blackwater, the brainwashed military, the thug jackbooted cops, FEMA stormtroopers, United Nations peacekeepers, cannot even come close to defeating us. You will make your last and stupid mistake when you declare martial law and try to round us up. But we will fight to the death and take you with us. You should never sleep easy, for you never know when you may wake up in the middle of the night with a Colombian necktie and us standing over you, laughing while you take your last breath and when we, the people, take this nation back from your evil grip. We will hunt you to the ends of the earth and shoot you down like mangy dogs. Sweet dreams, motherfuckers. Excommunication came in from a sniper. I suggest you think about what the fuck you're doing to our goddamn country. Now, a message from the Sons of Liberty concerning the New World Order. a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song and they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. 
and they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered, and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. He says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners, saying was, Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? 
He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on... All right, everybody. Okay. We're going to do probably probably do a little documentary. Probably, I think, on the last podcast there, I think I heard Sarge talking about George Washington. I was thinking we had to dig up something here on George Washington, maybe. Uh, uh, so I'll be back in about three minutes, and uh, we'll play something on George Washington. It's not, it's not too long. And anybody wants to comment or talk, because the founding uh, principles and the founding people of this country were good people. They believed in liberty. I mean, obviously, they were brilliant uh, uh, discussing the, the documents. And, and, and the documents that we are founded by and live by and our laws are by are brilliant documents even to this day because they address everyday problems even to this day. So uh, we're going to uh, talk about that hopefully tonight. And so I'll be back in about three minutes, three minutes and 50 seconds while I get it pulled up. All right, so uh, just bear with me here. Let's play something here real quick.
taken a heavy toll on the soldiers. Their clothes are tattered, their spirits down. The Commander-in-Chief, George Washington, is feeling the strain as well. Three months earlier, another American general, Horatio Gates, catapulted himself onto the national scene by defeating the British at Saratoga, New York. The victory has given America a new war hero, one with boundless ambition. Horatio Gates wanted to be commander-in-chief of the American army. And it goes much beyond that. Uh, whoever was the victorious leader of the revolutionaries would emerge as the leader of the new nation. At the same time that Horatio Gates' stock is on the rise, Washington is in free fall. At Brandywine, Pennsylvania, the Americans fought the largest engagement of the war so far. Washington suffered one of his worst losses. 1,000 American soldiers are wounded or killed. And Washington is forced to retreat north into New Jersey. The victory at Brandywine gives the British the prize they were after, the rebel capital, Philadelphia. Independence Hall, the seat of rebel power, now sits empty. A burning reminder of Washington's failure. America's rebel Congress is now a body in exile and have set up a new home 100 miles to the west of Philadelphia in York, Pennsylvania. In the chamber, there are murmurings that George Washington is weak-willed, that the general's poor judgment keeps the Americans from defeating the British. The expectation that civilian leaders had that Howe's army could be conquered just like that. There were doubters that carpet and criticism and... Uh, Monday morning quarterback against uh, what he had done. Revolutionaries like Samuel Adams are calling the abilities of their commander-in-chief into question. Our troops are victorious in the north. The enemy troops are divided and scattered over a country several hundred miles. If we do not beat them this fall, will not the faithful historian record it as our own fault? Samuel Adams. Congress takes action and names Horatio Gates to head the newly created Board of War, a position that gives him a say in American military strategy. This is the low point of George Washington's professional life. Congress begins to lose confidence in him. Gates' followers are pumping up Gates. And the idea is then broke that Gates ought to be the commander-in-chief. But now, Washington, knowing that he's seen his weak, must win big soon to solidify that command. But the Continental Army is in no shape for a fight. And in 18th century warfare, winter is the time to rest, to train, to resupply. For Washington, now is the time to rebuild his army and his reputation and do it before the winter is over. It will be an uphill battle at the soon-to-be-storied Valley Forge. It is a strategic location. Just 23 miles north of Philadelphia, Valley Forge is an ideal place from which to keep a close eye on the movements of the British Army and stop the enemy from pillaging the fertile countryside. Sitting on a plateau, the camp is easily defensible. Creeks and the Schuylkill River 
provide a natural fortification to the camp. But building and running a city a third the size of Philadelphia is a mammoth undertaking. Washington throws himself into the work. He designs the camp himself, down to the last detail. The layout of the barracks, the placement of roads, the location of its defenses. Washington enacts strict rules to fight typhus and dysentery. Soldiers who do not use proper privies face five lashes to be administered on the spot. Soldiers who contract venereal disease from prostitutes selling their services on the peripheries of the camp pay for their own treatment, $4 for the rank and file and $10 for the officers. These seemingly mundane tasks consume all of Washington's time. We might accuse him of being a micromanager, but in fact, this was a situation that needed micromanaging. He had to really pay attention to the minutia because it's the minutia that's going to kill off his army. Dysentery and other camp diseases are going to create havoc in his camp. And when matters of sanitation are attended to carefully, so he has to pay close attention to the, to the details. And he does it really well. Washington's hands on approach wins the admiration of his soldiers. And he assures the men that he himself will share in every hardship and partake in every inconvenience. During the first month of construction at Valley Forge, Washington chooses to live in a tent at the edge of the camp, alongside his army. Life in Philadelphia, however, stands in stark contrast. For the British, the winter break from the war brings a return to the creature comforts the status before. The British Army is very warm and comfortable wherever they want to be, whether it's New York or Philadelphia. They have no problems. Uh, their problem is deciding which tavern to drink at at night. The British may have lost at Saratoga, but they hold the rebel capital and are savoring it for all it is worth. Evenings are filled by social gatherings, and each Thursday there is a ball where Philadelphia's high society loyalists mingle with the British officer class. Back at Valley Forge, the temperature hovers around freezing. Many of the soldiers are forced to wrap their feet in rags for lack of shoes. But the men make do, fighting off the cold by playing cards, mending their clothes, and learning new drills. For soldiers like Joseph Hodgkins, the 34-year-old cobbler from Massachusetts, letters from home are a bittersweet reminder of what has been left behind. My dear, I have looked for you till I know not how to look any longer. Monday afternoon, I was very low in spirit, almost despair of your coming home. Brother Perkins and sister send their love to you, your most affectionate companion till death, Sarah. As the winter grinds on at Valley Forge, supply shortages become a problem. America has never had to feed and clothe an army. During the Seven Years' War, just a fraction of the soldiers' food came from the colonies. All the rest was shipped across the ocean from England. And since the outset of the war, the congressionally controlled provisioning offices have struggled mightily to supply the army. 
define the Continental Army was immensely complex. We call it the Continental Army, uh, thinking of it as a national permanent army, a regular army, which it was. But in many ways, it's still organized and paid for locally. Each state was responsible for supplying its own troops. And this creates enormous confusion. In February, the army supply lines grind to a halt. The staple diet for the soldiers becomes fire cake, a meager meal made of flour mixed with water into an unappetizing paste that is cooked over an open fire. It is a far cry from the promised daily ration of a pound of beef and a pound of bread. Washington is all too aware of the hardships faced by his soldiers. With his army facing starvation, he throws himself into a writing frenzy, petitioning the states for more food and clothing, pleading to Congress for more power to oversee the supply offices, and imploring local officials to send more aid. But for all his efforts, relief is slow in coming. Washington will need help to turn his army back into a fighting force. And it will come from a most unlikely source, a new arrival in camp, a Prussian who goes by the name of Frederick William Augustus Heinrich Ferdinand, Baron von Steuben. February 1778. The winter at Valley Forge is taking a heavy toll on the Continental Army. 2,500 soldiers die from disease. More than have been killed in battle in the entire war. Thousands of others are incapacitated by sickness and hunger. Washington has done his best to hold his army together, but is still under pressure from Congress to mount a successful spring campaign and take back Philadelphia from the British. But to achieve that goal, he will have to enlist the help of others. On February 17th, a new recruit arrives in camp, sent by the American Congress to aid in the cause. He calls himself Frederick William Augustus Heinrich Ferdinand, Baron von Steuben, wears the bejeweled cross of the Order of de la Fidelité, denoting an honorary knighthood from Prussia. Von Steuben carries letters of introduction, but no papers confirming his achievements, an omission that should be a clue, for the Baron is stretching his story, just as he stretched his name. He has never risen higher than the rank of captain, he has been turned down for service by the French, Spanish, and German armies. Amidst rumors, he has taken familiarities with young boys, which the law forbids and severely punishes. In short, von Steuben has come to the only army in the world that will have it, the Americans. The Baron's past may be shrouded in mystery, but Washington is desperate for leadership, for officers with European training. He puts von Steuben right to work. The task to create a single method of training, a critical step towards a more professional army, and to do it before the winter is over. Von Steuben embraces the opportunity. The Baron starts small, spending hours each day working directly with a model unit that will be used to train the rest of the army. 
Baron von Steuben is a remarkable figure. Von Steuben's genius was the ability to distill the complexity of state-of-the-art European drill tactics into a can't fully empty your bladder because of the swollen prostate. Here's why you shouldn't try meds, surgery, or digestible form to this raw material that was the American soldier. They are tactics that are new to Washington and his army. Tactics learned during the Baron's service in the Prussian army. But he makes an important adjustment in the way he teaches them. Von Steuben recognized that he was not dealing with Prussian conscripts. He recognized the individuality and the Republican notion of the population of troops that he dealt with. And he was able to take principles and tactics and give them to this force in such a manner that they were willing to receive it and that they were able to transform themselves from virtuous Republicans into soldiers in a professional army. Under von Steuben's tutelage, the soldiers learn how to form solid, orderly columns, how to properly load and fire a weapon in formation, and the proper use of a bayonet. The army that comes out of Valley Forge is in many ways much more sophisticated one than the one that goes in there. Von Steuben brings a new level of professionalism to the army, and that by itself creates its own sense of professionalism. It creates its own sense of belonging. They're belonging to something larger than themselves. In a matter of weeks, the ragtag unit is marching in lockstep. Soon, every soldier is taught the von Steuben technique. It becomes the foundation for the Army's first training manual. Washington's army is slowly remade. It is nearly battle ready. In March, spring finally comes to Valley Forge. The dark months of winter begin to fade away. Yet food shortages have been a recurring problem. For the young General Nathaniel Green, watching his army go hungry is more than he can bear. At 35, the formidable Green is a rising star in the Army, even though he is an unlikely soldier. Born in Rhode Island, Green is a successful merchant from a devout Quaker family that loathes war. But he is ambitious and fiercely loyal. When war breaks out, he throws himself behind the Patriot cause. Green becomes the youngest Brigadier General in the Continental Army at age 33. Now he has risen to the rank of Major General and is one of Washington's closest confidants and one of the loudest critics of the Army's failed supply department. The Quartermaster General, Commissary General, and Clothier General departments are in such a wretched condition that unless there are some very good alterations in those departments, it will be impossible to prosecute another campaign. Our troops are naked and the men getting sickly in their huts. Nathaniel Green. Green's experience as a merchant leads him to take matters into his own hands. He leads foraging parties into the Pennsylvania countryside to round up food and supplies. But the citizens are often unwilling to give up their property, even to an army fighting for their independence. It creates a precarious situation. Washington didn't want to alienate the local civilian population. He did what he could to supply the army but he wants to protect that relationship with the local community. 
But desperate times call for desperate measures. When persuasion fails, livestock and grain are occasionally taken at the end of a musket. Green leaves the scared civilians with the only reimbursement his army is offering, the promise of future payment, an IOU. Green's efforts impress Washington, who puts him in charge of acquiring supplies for the army. The duty-bound general accepts his assignment as quartermaster, but it is certainly not the commission that he had hoped for. Nobody ever heard of a quartermaster in history. All of you will be immortalizing yourselves in the golden pages of history while I am confined to a series of drudgeries to pave the way for it. Nathaniel Green. The classic case of a successful general being called back to the Pentagon to be a bureaucrat. And Green doesn't want that. But on the other hand, it's a sense of Puritan guilt. It's a sense of sacrificing what's good for you, what's good for your country. Green dispatches foraging parties far and wide, south into Virginia, to the eastern shore of Maryland, and north into New Jersey, rebuilding the supply lines for the Army. The efforts of Baron von Steuben and Green over the winter at Valley Forge have given Washington confidence that he has an army that is now ready to take the fight to the British. Meanwhile, an ocean away, a bold American is pushing the war to a new and unlikely front, the shores of England itself. April, 1778. The long winter at Valley Forge has finally come to an end. The Continental Army continues to train in preparation for the summer campaign one that Washington hopes will bring a much-needed military victory and vindication for his previous losses. But the fighting season is still months away. For now, all the general can do is ready his troops. Unbeknownst to Washington, though, the war for independence is spreading to a new and unexpected front across the ocean. On a chilly spring morning, a lone American ship, the Ranger, cuts through the water off the coast of England. Their target, the port towns along the western coast of Britain. It has been 700 years since anyone has raided these shores. 700 years since the foreigner has rained terror on the inhabitants of the British mainland. The architect of this bold plan, John Paul Jones. At first sight, the 31-year-old Jones is an unlikely captain. He is short in stature and soft in his feet. But the Scottish-born Jones is already a veteran sailor. Jones is a proud man. He's a very handsome man. Almost beautiful. He's wearing a British Navy uniform. And you may wonder, why would an American naval officer wear a British Navy uniform? Because he's not as better looking. Jones is the son of a gardener who set out for the open sea at the age of 13 to make a name for himself working on merchants in a slave ship. Jones cast himself in his own flesh. 
uh, a display of upward mobility. This is a, a notion that's very 20th century, but, but uh, in the 18th century, uh, it was unusual. In the 18th century, your place in society is defined. That's not the way John Paul Jones wants to be the world. He wants to be a rising figure. He wants to overcome his modest origin and become a young. It takes him just eight years to reach the rank of captain. But shipboard life is a dangerous business, and at 28 he is forced to flee to Virginia to escape charges of murdering a mutinous crew member. He starts life anew in America, adding the last name Jones to avoid being found, and joins the fledgling Continental Navy in 1775. But what America calls a navy is little more than an awkward flotilla of mismatched merchant ships clumsily converted for battle, a fighting force that could never stand up to the superior power of the British Navy. So the ambitious Jones sets out on his own course. Jones is a military genius, and he has a fundamental insight, which is that we're never going to beat the British by playing some defensive game. The British Navy at this time has... Uh, more than 100 men of war, the American Navy has none. So they're not going to win some mass naval battle. They have to go guerrilla. John Paul Jones returns to the waters of his youth and in surprise attack, shocks the enemy. Betterment is the investing platform that helps you be invested in whatever you care about. Be invested in big bikes. Raiding British merchant ships along the Irish coast burning supply ships along the west coast of Britain, and leading an attack on the port of Whitehaven, the very town Jones set sail from as a young boy. The idea is to terrorize the British people, to show them that the cost of suppressing the American Revolution is going to be high, to take the fight home to the Britons. It is a strategy that has an immediate effect. News of the raids hits London like a thunderclap. This morning, an express arrived with alarming intelligence that an American privateer had appeared off the coast and proceeded to Falkirk House, which they pillaged. Along the northwest coast of England, a general intimidation discovers itself on every appearance of a sail. But for his tactics, raiding towns and taking merchant ships, Jones becomes known as the Pirate Jones. It is a label that plagues him. John Paul Jones wants to be seen as an officer and a gentleman, not as a pirate, and it, it, it hurts him. In an attempt to prove that he is more than just a pirate, Jones sets his eye on one last goal, taking a British warship. He finds the perfect target anchored off the Irish coast, the Drake. With 20 guns, all four-pounders, she is a relatively even match to Jones's ranger. As is his custom, Jones flies the British naval ensign allows him to slide close to the enemy ship, and at the last minute, Jones gives the order to fire. The battle is on. The two ships exchange broadsides at close range. 18th century warfare was supposed to be gentlemanly, at least for the gentlemen as far. It was like almost like a formal dance. It's sea, ships, like a minuet uh, in a ball. Jones didn't believe it all. Jones believed in what today we would call total war. He would put men up in the top, as they were called, 
up, up the mast on this platform to blaze away with muskets, with, with guns. These new tactics give Jones the upper hand. His crew rakes the deck of the Drake with hot grape shot, tears through sails and limbs. And after just one hour, the British lower their flag in defeat. It's significant that no American ship had taken a British ship in a clean, fair fight. And the British Navy considers itself to be so superior to any other Navy. So for an American ship to defeat a British ship was a real blow to the Brits, and it told them, hmm, what are we getting into here? The Ranger makes a hasty retreat, heading to France, the British Navy in desperate pursuit. For Jones, the mission is a success. What was done is sufficient to show that not all their boasted Navy can protect their own coast, and that the scenes of distress, which they have occasioned in America, may soon be brought home to their own door. John Paul Jones, Jones has brought the revolution right to the doorstep of the British. Arriving in France, he becomes the toast of Paris, the ideal of American heroism. Jones's war will continue. The following year, he will lead a modest fleet aboard his new ship, the Bonhomme Richard, winning the greatest American naval battle of the time against the British warship, the Serapis. And years later, for his daring mission, John Paul Jones will become known as the father of the American Navy. Back in America, George Washington prepares to take the fight to the British Army, looking for the battle that will restore his reputation once and for all. May 5th, 1778, Valley Forge. Three months of drilling have given Washington a new confidence in his army. The efforts of Washington, Nathaniel Green, and Baron von Steuben, whose service has now earned him the position of Inspector General of the Army, have emboldened a force that is now 13,000 strong. Washington's perseverance through the hardship of the winter has held his army together. He is now eager to test the mettle of his soldiers, and the British are about to provide the perfect opportunity British headquarters, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A new commander-in-chief is taking over the British Army, Sir Henry Clinton. His predecessor, William Howe, recalled after the British loss at Saratoga. Clinton arrived in America in 1775 with Howe and General John Burgoyne. Both generals left America in defeat. Now he is the last one standing. At the time of the American Revolution, positions of command devolved to the next man in the line according to seniority. Promotion was subject, with very few exceptions, to the rigid law of seniority. And in this case, Henry Clinton was the only choice because he was the next most senior officer following the recall of Howe. Clinton is as concerned with how his actions will be interpreted, how he will be judged, that awareness of if I don't handle this right, what's this going to mean for my reputation back at home? Clinton has good reason to worry about his reputation. The war for independence has changed dramatically. It is no longer a battle between two adversaries. Now there are three. 
For the past year, the Americans have been courting France, the world's other superpower. Leading the effort is the rebel emissary, Benjamin Franklin. At 72 years old, Franklin is an internationally renowned scientist and writer who has entered a new phase in his career, that of diplomat. America's victory at Saratoga has shown the French that the colonies can hold their own against the British and has persuaded them to join the fight against their ancient enemy. Now the elder statesman is working out the final details in the newly signed Treaty of Friendship. France gives money and supplies, but more importantly, offers their navy to the American cause. French naval support is absolutely crucial um, for American resistance. The British, they have to now take the naval dimensions of this war into account. They can no longer say we can take naval supremacy for granted and concentrate on uh, winning the war on land. Back in Philadelphia, British General Clinton opens his first orders, which have just arrived from England. The British ministry has been forced to make a dramatic choice. In May 1778, the British hold Philadelphia, New York City, and Newport, Rhode Island. Now there is a very real danger of a blockade by the French fleet at any of these ports. So Clinton is ordered to give up the rebel capital of Philadelphia and consolidate his forces in New York City. It is a forced retreat. Not how Clinton had expected his leadership to begin. American spies in Philadelphia rushed dispatches to Valley Forge with word of the British action. The news finds Washington and his generals discussing battle plans for the upcoming summer. Now the question on the table is whether to move on the British when they begin their retreat to New York. Washington is still stinging from last year's losses at Brandywine in Germantown and is eager for a fight. But before he can take on the enemy, Washington has to take on one of his most talented generals and one of the most outspoken challengers to his authority, General Charles Lee. The British-born Lee is an eccentric but capable officer and a brilliant military tactician. But in December of 1776, as he was supposed to be on his way to aid Washington as the Americans fled New York, Lee was instead captured by the British while he lounged in his nightclothes at a tavern. Despite the blunder, Washington worked hard to get the experienced Lee back from the British in a prisoner exchange. Lee is arguably the most qualified general officer in the American army in a strictly military sense. He fought in the French and Indian War. He fought in continental Europe during the Seven Years' War. He fought from Russia to Poland. He's exceptionally experienced. But this experience breeds some hubris. He thinks that he knows better. We seem to have an agenda throughout the war of really carving out an independent command for himself. And one could speculate that he probably would have liked to supplant Washington as, as commander-in-chief. Lee's arrogance has always been an issue, and he questions Washington's plans at every turn. But today he takes his argument one step further, suggesting that the American force would never stand a chance fighting the royals head-on. 
Coming from someone who spent more than a year in British captivity, Lee's stance raises questions about his loyalty. There was always an aura of suspicion around him in Washington's mind. Part of the reason I'm very suspicious of Lee is he wasn't treated as a prisoner. He had dinner with the other officers. He had a convivial life with them. Uh, it, was, it was not the kind of treatment that was given to other revolutionaries when they were captured. What none of the Americans knew at the time is that while in captivity, Lee had offered advice to the British as to how to beat the Americans and bring the conflict to an end. An act of treason that would color Lee's actions for the rest of the war. We've got great news for seniors. The Social Security Administration has made it. June 20th, 1778, Mount Holly, New Jersey. The main force of the British Army, 11,000 soldiers, have begun their withdrawal from Philadelphia to New York with a supply train that stretches more than 12 miles. Washington sees the British as vulnerable and wants to bring on a fight against the advice of his generals including Saratoga's victor, Horatio Gates. But Gates, now stationed in Albany, New York, has become obsessed with a major campaign into Canada, an offensive that Washington calls the child of folly. Even supporters in Congress view the idea as impractical because it would split the American army in two. Gates' plan is rejected. The American army, 13,000 strong, breaks camp at Valley Forge and sets off after the British. For more than a week, the two armies march across New Jersey, covering 90 miles in a searing June heat. American detachments ahead of the British fell trees, destroy bridges, and engage in skirmishes, slowing the British Army's progress. Until finally, Washington sees his opportunity for a full engagement. On the night of June 24th, Washington lays out his battle plan. At the crossroads of Monmouth Courthouse, an advanced corps of 5,000 soldiers will move forward and engage the rear of the British Army as they prepare to get underway. Washington, with 7,000 soldiers, will hang behind the advanced force. If the British retreat, the Americans will let them go. But if they engage, Washington will move forward and join the fight. In accordance with military etiquette, Washington's senior officer, General Charles Lee, is offered command of the advance force. Lee claims the right to lead the attack because he's inexperienced second in command. Lee didn't turn it down. He took it, which was unfortunate, because Washington had to let him go ahead of the rest of his army. June 27th, Washington issues the order. Lee will attack the next morning. The British Army has been retreating across New Jersey for more than a week. Against the wishes of his generals, George Washington has set his army out in pursuit, seeking an opportunity to bring on a full engagement. Finally, at a crossroads called Monmouth Courthouse, the Continental Army catches up with the British. June 28, 1778. A 
the devastating heat has engulfed the parched fields of eastern New Jersey. In the morning, General Charles Lee's men set off towards the British rear guard at Monmouth. Washington and 7,000 soldiers wait seven miles behind Lee's troops. The general waits anxiously for word of the offensive, but so far, there has been none. His army has been trained and turned into a new and hard-fighting army, and that army and its commander are now convinced that they can beat any army on the face of the earth, and they are eager for the fight. And that fight comes on one of the hottest days of the war. Different records show that the heat was somewhere between 100 and 104 degrees on the morning of the battle. At noon, the first progress reports come in from Continental soldiers that appear to be in retreat. The news is unbelievable. Lee was not attacking. What was going on here? Uh, he had the strength. He had the trained men who knew how to maneuver now. Then all of a sudden he began to retreat when he should have attacked. In fact, Lee had no battle plan. He was hopeful of victory somehow. It's obvious to all the men at Monmouth that there is no plan. The men retreat. Furious, Washington rides ahead and encounters General Lee himself. Washington personally rode up and took over and relieved Lee of his command. Nobody accurately knows what Washington said because it was almost sacrilegious to write down when George Washington swore, and whatever he called Lee, uh, it was enough for Lee to get the idea and to get out of there. With Lee reprimanded, Washington turns his attention to a more urgent matter, the British Army, which is fast approaching. But for the British soldiers, marching in 100-degree heat in their full wool uniforms, it is an exhausting event. We proceeded five miles in a road composed of nothing but sand, which scorched through our shoes with intolerable heat, the sun beating on our head with a force scarcely to be conceived in Europe, and not a drop of water to assuage our parching thirst. A number of soldiers were unable to support the fatigue and died on the spot. <laughs> Lieutenant William Hale. At one o'clock, less than half a mile separates the British Army from the Americans. Washington must act fast, rallying the troops on the high ground of the field. Within an hour, the American soldiers have formed their ranks. The British arrive, hot and exhausted from their march, only to face a Continental Army in a strong defensive position. The winter's training at Valley Forge is paying off, and Washington knows it. He then does something astounding. He rides back and forth in front of his lines to rally the troops, putting himself in the line of fire, risking his life as he asked his own men to risk their lives. People who know Washington in the war think that he has a feeling of invincibility because he puts himself in the line of fire so often. He's almost convinced that he can't be killed. The British open up on him and miraculously miss him. The Battle of Monmouth erupts. 
more than 20,000 soldiers clash in the brutal heat. The fighting rages for hours, long into the summer afternoon. The men on the field that day, it is some of the most intense combat they have ever seen. The briskest cannonade commenced on both sides that I ever heard. If anything can be called musical when there is so much danger, I think it was the finest music I ever heard. Henry Dearborn. The English commander to the right hollered, Come on, my brave boys, for the honor of Great Britain, and killed many with their bayonets. British Lieutenant Alexander Dow scattered the remains of our battalion suffered from thirst and heat, which several died. Some preferred the shade of the trees in the direct range of shot to the more horrid tortures of thirst. One of them had his arm shattered to pieces. Lieutenant Hale. The British advanced repeatedly, but Washington's men repel each of the assaults. In the thick of the fighting, a young woman named Mary Hayes McCauley risks her life caring for the wounded and bringing water to the parched American people. She is just one of the scores of women who take to the battlefields of the revolution and become known to the soldiers as Molly Teacher. The Battle of Monmouth is the longest of the Revolutionary War, lasting continuously more than five hours. Sunstroke, not musket balls, is the biggest killer on this day. Scores of soldiers on both sides die from the heat. When the smoke had cleared in Monmouth, it was a draw. Washington knew and the country knew that this new army that had come out of Valley Forge was a good one. They had held their own against the British. This renews the public spirit for the war. And forever. And everything from miles away was this powerful U.S. Special Forces device. This new military monocular solidifies Washington's position as the unquestioned commander-in-chief. The Continental Army has proven itself a capable fighting force. Washington has proven his leadership as their general. For his retreat in the face of the enemy, Charles Lee will face court-martial. He will be wounded in one duel and challenged to seven others for suggesting that the Americans could not stand up to the British. Disgraced, he will retire to his Virginia home and die there with his beloved dog in 1782. The rebel capital, Philadelphia, is now back in American hands. And Washington turns control of the city over to one of his most trusted generals, Benedict Arnold. The bold general is now a military governor. He will make choices here that will forever change his past, his present, and his future. On the field that evening at Monmouth Courthouse, the entire army lay together in exhaustion, and Washington sleeps here on the battlefield with his men. The French Navy is now under sail. Destination, America. Just maybe the war can be won before the year is out. Right, there you go, one of the great demonstrations of courage and 
bravery that you won't see today. Uh, but anyway, let's see. Let's get over here. Um, uh, anybody want to comment there or talk? Uh, I know I invite a couple people to come on the show here, talk about bravery and uh, uh, courage. You know, George Washington. I know Sarge is a fan of uh, George Washington. I don't know if he's out there listening or not. Uh, see a couple of private numbers, so press one. If you guys just press one. I know I, talked, I invited Tave there from last night there to uh, engage in a conversation with me. I watched his video that he uh, so adamantly wanted me to watch. Uh, so, uh, Tave, if you're out there, uh, press one. Uh, if, if not, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But uh, I'm giving you a chance here to uh, talk about this. Um, let's see here. Um, what else do we got here? Um Oh, I got a couple messages in the chat room, maybe. Let's see. Let's check the chat room. Nope, nobody in the chat room. All right. Hey, uh, press one. It's your chance to talk. That's what I give people the floor. It's your chance. You know, any other time. I know last night we entered it. We got into a heated uh, debate and conversation there about the, uh, the um, you know, one thing I want to talk about here is this Jewish question. You know, this Jew, the evil Jew, or Donald Trump. You know, I watched the video that Tate told me about. Uh, last night, and uh, it really offers no real proof that, you know, look, that, that Trump is, uh, okay, Trump had Jews visit him at the White House. Big deal. Uh, there's photographs of Jews in the White House, the Oval Office, standing next to Trump. That doesn't mean he converted to Judaism, okay? And, and, the, and, the video, and none of the videos, there's nothing where he admits that he condemns Christianity or converts to Judaism. So, I, I still yet to have any evidence offered to me on this. Um, like I said, just because Trump took photographs with Jews does not mean he's a Jew. All right. And number two is, if he did convert to Judaism, what does that mean? I mean, are as everyone who converts to Judaism evil, and they and they want to destroy America? All right. I think that might be paid there. So let's see here. All right. Go ahead. I'll unmute you. Go ahead. Uh, it's Gunslinger. Oh, Gunslinger. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead there, uh, Gunslinger. Uh, well, you know, I don't think that there's a whole lot to that that uh, Trump would convert to Judaism. Okay. It's that really doesn't make any sense. Okay. Yeah, it looks like he said he's they're invited Jews there to the White House and. They go to dinner, and I'm sure, you know, the whole nine yards. But I don't think that he really would do that. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And yeah. I, have, I, I haven't seen or heard any proof of it coming directly out of his mouth. Yeah, I converted to Judaism. I haven't seen it or yeah. to this point. Yeah. So. Near a lie. He showed, he, I got sent a video last night. I don't know if you were on that conversation on Lorianne's show or not at the end there when everybody was arguing. But – uh you know, I heard that. Well, which I, I just kept my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I watched the video. I watched it, you know, and, and there's nothing in the video that says that, you know, there's nothing. Like I said, there's just photographs of Trump. Trump invites a lot of people. He invites Haitians. He invites, uh, he invites uh, uh, the China Chinese. To, you know, so what's that mean? He's part of Chinese communists now? You know, I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, so it don't make sense. Well, you know, everybody gets invited to the White House, everybody in the world. I mean, you know, I think even Putin's been there, okay? Yeah. Hootie Putin. (laughs) I think 
uh, Rocket Boy. Rocket Boy over in North Korea. Yeah. To the White yep. House when Trump was. So everybody's been there. Rocket Boy. I mean, yeah. 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 I call yeah. him Rocket Boy. I mean, that's part of that, that put, Yeah. <laughs> I know. I remember that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's part of being president. You invite people to the White House. I mean, that's yeah. just the yeah, presidential thing. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Know. I mean, you know, that's your, that's your job or one of or part of your job is to, you know, negotiate with your potential enemies out there. Okay? Yeah. I'd rather negotiate with them than to fight the bastards. I know that. I'd rather negotiate with them than to fight them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I just don't know what, 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 what his problem is, you know. I mean, uh, I just don't get it. But, uh, but um, look, the bottom line is this. Again, you know, let me ask you a question. What do you think is the biggest threat to our country right now? I mean, as far as, uh, as, as, as our country falling apart, is it the Jew? Is it the Jew, or is it these liberals? I mean, uh, what do you think? <clears throat> it's, it's. You know, most of the liberals that are in that are in banking in this country are Jews. Are Jews? Okay? Yes, true. They run the banks. They run the banks. So, on the economic side of that question, would be the banks. Would be the Jewish okay. control okay. banks. On the other side of the question, there's always things that has two sides, like a fence. You know, you already got two sides of a fence. Okay, would be yep. the open borders. And letting every Tom, Dick, and Swinging Dick Harry come in here. That's right. You know, it's a, it's a multi multi part question. They're obviously social. The, yeah, social. everything well, is know important. What? Yeah. Social. Yeah. So we got the social everything issues and we got the economic. Yeah. Yeah. Everything <clears throat> that is affecting this country right now under poopy pants Biden is affecting the country, which it wasn't affecting country when President Trump was in there. That's clear. I mean, that, that's logical. I mean, that simple mathematics would give you that answer. You know what I mean? Go ahead. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. I mean, I, I think the biggest threat is like I agree with you. I agree with you 100% on that um, with, about the, uh, uh, the Jew thing. But I'm going to play something here. I'll play something here just on behalf of those, those people that believe it's said it's true. I'll play something here uh, see what this is about the Zionism. Um, you won't get it on, on anywhere else but a couple of these sites. So let me play this. Israel's bombs in the last couple years. Refugee camps. Not hearing anything. No now audio. Israel is saying that this hospital bombing wasn't them. And sure, they ordered all the hospitals in Gaza to evacuate three days before the bombing. And sure, the Al-Aqli staff said they got phone calls for three straight days before the bombing telling them to evacuate. And, of course, there's also the multiple tweets Israel deleted shortly after the bombing and the laughably fake phone call Israel claimed to have intercepted between two Palestinian militants. 
the Al Jazeera investigation, which completely debunks Israel's claim that a Palestinian rocket bombed the hospital, the multiple military veterans that have said the projectile sounds exactly like a U.S. manufactured missile, and of course there's also the fact that Israeli generals and politicians have been promising to flatten Gaza for the last two weeks, saying there are no innocent civilians in Gaza, and yeah, they turned off all the electricity to Gaza, all but collapsing the hospital system a week before the bombing, and I know what you're probably thinking right now. Israel did it. But here's the thing. This is what experts call anti-Israel bias. All right. So let's play this now. Here we go. This is what this article is talking about. Neo-Nazis in the far right are trying to hijack pro-Palestine protests. They go on to talk about, like, the, the replacement theory in this, in this article. Um, there's one video, actually, that mentions uh, America First that mentions Nick. Nick Fuentes and America First was on a CBN news hit piece on anti-Semitism. We're going to take a look at this. We're going to watch this. We got this article here, anti-Semitic comments increase across Chinese social media. And, uh, and, and, and like I said, we have this, uh, this trending page, which they took this down from trending because it was problematic. We've got Zionist Jews trending, along with King David, 128,000 uh, tweets about Zionist Jews. Um, we also got this other thing I want to watch. The Overton window is shifting before our eyes. Nick Point says it's been debanked and deplatformed for, for bringing up these very arguments. So this is uh, The Hill uh, talking about APAC. APAC was trending the other day on Twitter as well. Um, and I think it had something like 67,000 uh, retweets. Ban APAC, kind of like ban the ADL was trending before. Ban APAC was trending. So. I said this during yesterday's stream. It's like people are really starting to notice. We are so back. People are really starting to do some noticing and uh, are really starting to wake up um, because, you know, these people in power have really sort of like overplayed their hand in their, within their greed, in their desire, in, the, in their, their desire for everything that they've ever wanted to achieve, trying to gather that up, trying to slobber that up all at once, in their greed, in their lust, in their uh, evil desires, they have basically pretty much overplayed their hand. And uh, people are really starting to uh, really starting to notice, really starting to understand what's, what's, what's really going on here. They're seeing weird clips being shared around of Glenn Beck demanding, you know, dual citizenship in Israel, writing a letter to Bibi Netanyahu, begging for citizenship in Israel, saying that his whole purpose in life is to defend Jews. They're seeing clips of Ben Shapiro go off about nuclear war and the Samson option, and clips of uh, Mark Levin saying basically the same things. They're seeing what Sarah Silverman saying. They're seeing with both, with both so-called liberal Jews and in the media and conservative Jews in the media are saying they're seeing people just completely lose their freaking minds. And they're starting to uh, they're starting to notice. Someone says all tyrants go too far. Yeah, that's totally true. All tyrants, all tyrants do truly go too far. The greatest noticing of our time, as uh, some would call it. I hate the Antichrist in uh, in the live chat says. Yeah, there was something I saw from the ADL. Uh, someone posted a screenshot from the ADL. Let me see if I can find it. And it was something about the Antichrist. Antichrist. ADL, I think it was that, like, I hate the Antichrist, or what was it? It was anti-cup half full, Miami sends a, a tweet link after saying that I'm his fourth, his fourth favorite cozy streamer, but he comes through for us, I hate the Antichrist, 
Here it is from the ADL's website. The phrase, I hate the Antichrist, is a slogan used by Christian anti-Semites. Hating the Antichrist is hate, hatred toward the Jews as they don't want the Third Temple to be built. <laughs> Here's the question. Is this real? Here's the question. Is that real? I wouldn't be surprised if it was if it was re- I mean, there's been crazier things on the on the ADL's website. They took down that thing about how the ADL they were they said that uh, Jews shouldn't accept Palestinians or any sort of immigration into Israel into Israel because they have higher birth rates and they would replace them, then Jews would become the minority. People would point that out. They took that down. We have archived links of it. We know that was up on the website. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean there's there's crazier things up on the ADL's website. So we're going to go through all that today. We're going to go through the video where Nick was mentioned on the CBN network. We're going to go through the Hill video. And whatever else you guys want to send in, get in the Discord, send it in, put it in good content ideas, that channel. Um, Mod can post a link to the Discord and the live media. Oh, that shit was fun. Man. That shit was funny. That shit was freaking hilarious. All the, all the times they on, like, WeChat or whatever it was, making fun of, like, George Floyd. <laughs> Making fun of like black people. Uh, how much water should you have put aside? I don't know. I've got like a bunch of cases. Um, I don't know. I was talking about how long it lasts. I don't. I think someone said like two or three years, but I got a bunch of cases here in my house of water. But you can get the Electapure Pro water filter on com. I've got that. Israel is bombing Gaza today because Jews are inherently genocidal. Hamas spotted and raped 1,400 Israelis on October. Oh, <laughs> uh, that shit gets me every time. That shit gets me. That's like the thumbnail for the Rumble live stream right now, isn't it? I wish we could do the thumbnails on Cozy on the Cozy live stream. Uganda. Um, like I said yesterday, imagine if we had the internet and readers' contacts in 1942. It would be uh, Twitter would be crazy. <laughs> Twitter. We might be seeing it, it happen again. Twitter would be crazy, though. Twitter would be going off. But that's true. I mean, we're talking about thousands of people. I'm calling on all Christians and Catholics. I'm calling on all America First supporters to pray. For the- and, and remember, this was happening before this happened, right? A lot of people say, well, they, they went in there and they killed 1,400 Israelis and they, they raped women and blah, 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 blah. First of all, if you legitimately, legitimately believe that the, the Mossad This is typical of Europe's culturally enriching new arrivals. As you can see, this low IQ black congoid is practicing his best moves to carve up his hapless, naive European hosts. There are millions of others just like him ensconced in Ireland, the UK, Spain, Portugal, France, Belgium, Sweden, Italy, Germany, and countless other European nations. The compromised, traitorous European politicians aren't listening. The people have had enough. Now do you understand why these politically green-lighted so-called refugees of fighting age have been arriving in Europe without women and children? They're ready to burn Europe if they don't get the easy life they wanted and told to expect, and if their host European society doesn't bend to their will, to sideline over 2,000 years of European high culture and remnant Christianity to make Europe more like home, which ironically, they claim to have fled due to its insecurity, violence, and economic privations. The invaders 
have been herded into ghettos, as we've seen in France and elsewhere in Europe. The civil upheaval looks opportune and spontaneous, which it's not. It's being led by mischief makers that are not black or Arab. The menace leads from the shadows in the rear, with money and influence peddling, which is the traditional currency of this tribe. The manipulator culprits are both unknown and unseen by the useful idiot invaders who are pushed and pulled with Hegelian precision to rape, riot, loot, and kill, to serve the goal of destroying the white European civilization. But why now? And is this a spontaneous organic occurrence, or planned, orchestrated, and meticulously executed? And if so, by who, and for what benefit? That's what we're going to answer here as we draw together seemingly disparate events that bring us to what's happening today and where they're taking us, including who is the they. We name names. France has been packed full of invaders since the murder of Libya's Muammar Gaddafi by U.S.-backed rebel forces. Much of Europe has foolishly accepted the so-called refugees coming through an uncorked Libya, which previously held back a wretched African human river of economic refugees looking for a first world existence. Clueless, naive, liberal Europeans have foolishly embraced their destroyers to show they're virtuous, humanitarian, and not racist. The term racist and anti-Semitic have been weaponized. Racism and anti-Semitism is punishable by law in Europe. The Holocaust can't be questioned. Nationalism is reviled as being fascist and Nazi. Weak-willed, self-loathing European liberals cast themselves prone on the ground or take the knee to prove their superior virtue. Since when has hating your own race, culture, and heritage been a virtue? The answer is, since nationalism and one's white history has intersected with Marxist critical race theory, which has overtaken academia and infected public policy, corporations, the media, and popular culture. Marxism is Jewish in values, as was its author, Karl Marx. France's President Macron blames social media for France burning. We have news for him. It's the Africans and radicalized Muslims who have been transported to Europe through lawless Libya as the Mediterranean jump-off point to cross the sea to invade Europe. Behind these useful idiots are the puppeteers reshaping Europe in their image. Gaddafi warned this would happen if Libya was destabilized to serve Israel's interests. He called Libya the cork in the bottle of African discontent that would overcome Europe. Precisely that is happening. Obama, the unworthy Nobel Peace Prize winner, and Hillary Clinton did the U.S. neocons bloody bidding in Libya. It was Hillary who murdered Gaddafi using American rebel-directed proxies. Overnight, the body of the dictator was placed on the ground for all in the city of Misrata to see for themselves. It's expected that he will be buried today in accordance with Muslim tradition, but that funeral may be delayed. And we're now seeing new images of those final moments before his death. In this video just released, there he is, crowds surrounding him. The last bloody moments of his life show him wounded and begging for mercy. <laughs> he struggles, stumbles, and shouts as he fights against the enraged rebels. Haram Aleko, he says over and over, an Arabic expression that literally means, this is a sin for you. According to ABC's translators, it's generally used as a plea of vulnerability. Who can forget her cackle cry of, we came, we saw, he died. We came? We saw, he died. <laughs> that was the starter's gun for the European invasion. The cork was pulled out of the bottle. 
They knew what came next. They knew it. Libya was a war for Israel, as was Iraq before it, then Syria, and they're still trying to get a war going by sanctioning and goading Iran. These Middle East wars serve Jewish interests by destabilizing its Arab neighbors who united threaten the greater Israel project of occupying all that sits between the Nile and Euphrates rivers. The two horizontal blue lines on the Israeli flag denote the two rivers, the great Zionist plan for a greater Israel whose historical opponents have been white Christian Europeans. Christianity in Europe has nearly gone. Now it's time for the white race, hence the invasion of Europe. The 9-11-2001 Twin Towers destruction were two cordite wicks that set it all off. We now know 9-11 was a joint collaboration between Israel and its loyal American deep state Shavos Goys. And Sayana, which is the real U.S. government, which most Americans are clueless about, let alone realize it's almost exclusively run by dual-citizen American Israelis. America has a Zionist-occupied government. The CIA and Israel have collaborated before. They killed John F. Kennedy. Do you believe they murdered or were involved in the murder of your uncle? What did you come to personally? The CIA, yes, they were definitely involved in the murder and, you know, and the six-year cover-up. His comparatively recent 2019 declassified correspondence of 1962 are written threats to Israel Prime Minister Ben-Gurion to cut off Israel for secretly developing nuclear weapons at Dimona in Israel was the catalyst that got him killed shortly after he issued the threats to Ben-Gurion. To make its nuclear weapons, Israel was using stolen U.S. technology and uranium-234 stolen from the Newmark enrichment plant in Apollo, Pennsylvania. Kennedy's threat to abandon Israel would have immediately signaled to Israel's Arab neighbors that the American military umbrella was gone. The then newly 14-year-old state of Israel would likely not have survived without American protection. The world knows Israel is covertly nuclear-armed. Yuval Steinitz is chairman of the Defense Committee in Israel's parliament. Why should the world tolerate you having nuclear weapons and not, say, Iran? First, again, we never uh, admitted to have such a weapon. But the very comparison is, I must say, it's very insulting, and I tell you why. We suffered one Holocaust. We listened to our neighbors. Is it because of the Holocaust that you should be allowed to have nuclear weapons? You know what? This interview was finished now. Your attitude is so hostile. Israel refuses to allow International Atomic Energy Agency inspections or sign the treaty on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. In place, it maintains to nuke any neighbor in Europe of Israel is existentially threatened. It's called the Samson Option. Like Samson in the temple, he brought down the temple on himself to destroy his Philistine enemies. Ukraine is currently being ethnically cleansed for the backup homeland and refuge for world Jewry. Vladimir Zelensky is Jewish, as are the oligarchs who installed him with the backing, blessing, and resources of Jewish Victoria Newland, who is the undersecretary of the U.S. State Department. Nobody existentially threatens Israel without incurring regime change or consequences. Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein learned that. Indeed, before he was murdered, Gaddafi exposed Israel as Kennedy's killer with the CIA. JFK's assassination was just another joint operation predating 9-11. I will tell you, I found out of it. I'm in any correct spot. But it's very sophisticated publication saying to get Lyndon Johnson, to get the CIA, to get Fidel Castro. 
The gentleman on my right is, is Martin W. Sandler, and Marty, welcome. Hey. The uh, prolific Mr. Sandler has written and published more books than his age. Two of those have been nominated for Pulitzer Prizes. He, Marty, is justifiably proud of his six books in the Library of Congress. Marty has also won five Emmy Awards for writing and producing. Marty, firstly, I must compliment you on the incredible variety of letters that you have collected. There are some just remarkable gems. Jill Abramson, who is the executive director of the New York Times, wrote 10 days ago that an estimated 40,000 books have been published since the president's death. So, given the broad scope of the subject you have tackled, why President Kennedy and why now? It was my conviction before I started this project that one could probably tell more about John F. Kennedy, the man, John F. Kennedy, the president, and the incredibly turbulent times in which he lived through, the, through letters. A very surprising series of letters between Kennedy and David Ben-Gurion, not only the prime minister, premier of, of Israel, but the founder of Israel, in which they're very angry letters, in which uh, Kennedy um, is saying to Ben-Gurion, I'm killing myself trying to get a nuclear piss treaty. I've even got the gall on board, and that's impossible. And you keep testing in Demona. You've got to stop. And then Ben-Gurion is this. And in so many words, says, it's easy for you to say sitting in Hyannisport. I'm sitting with the Arabs all around me, and you want me to give up a nuclear testing. And Kennedy threatens him. And he threatens him in such a way that Ben-Gurion resigns. And I will tell you that I found articles, not in any crackpot publication, but in very sophisticated publications saying, forget Lyndon Johnson, forget the CIA, Forget Fidel Castro, Mossad killed Kennedy because they were so upset over what he did to Ben Gurion. My guest today is Shabtai Shavit, who is the former head of the Mossad. And if you uh, uh, know what the Mossad is known for, we're going to get right into it. Thoughts on uh, Soleimani being taken out and uh, Mohsen Fakhrizadeh being taken out, the number one nuclear scientist. When that happened, what did you think about? Like, where did your mind go when you saw uh, Ghassan Soleimani and, and uh, Fakhrizadeh being taken out? I, I, I think it was, uh, it was one too high in my mind. The notion that, that when we did well, then you're in a league of your own. You know, you're, you're, you're something else when you were uh, the head of Mossad. American state-of-the-art combat weapons sent to Ukraine are now showing up on the streets of France. Look at this. An invader with a belt-fed weapon. It's not your usual refugee kit. Where did he get the weapon? Where are the others getting their weapons? They're now showing up all over France and Europe. Who is transporting guns and strategically placing them in the hands of the ghetto-bound European invaders? These weapons are a useful spin-off of the Ukrainian morass to arm millions of European invaders of fighting age. Ukraine should be called the useful war. That's why America is funding it. These are images of zoo animals roaming the streets of Paris. Lions, zebras, elephants, and more. Animals don't open their own cages. 
zookeeper's keys are needed to open cages and herd animals to exit into the city streets. This is the work of state actors or those fomenting social disruption to terrorize and traumatize the population with fear so people accept a state of emergency or martial law while curbing freedoms on the desired path to social and economic collapse for creative destruction. Destroy the old and wipe away existing power structures for new ones without the need for messy democratic consent. We know this plan by its Gentile name, the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. Nothing is hidden. It's all in plain sight as required by revelation of the method for the consent compact that rules human affairs beyond governments of men. We've repeatedly been told by the Jews, like Barbara Spector, that Europe will not survive unless it ceases to be mainly white and homogeneous, which means becoming miscegenated and multicultural, which is code for mixed-race mulatto and white replacement. That's what the invasion and all the race-mixed ads you see nowadays are about. Culture and transnational corporations who, when not promoting LGBTQ issues, have their marketing depict miscegenated mixed race families, which are the rare exception and not the norm. The races have always sought out their own kind and blood for security and comfort. It's coded into the DNA of humans. People gravitate to what's like them. What's not like them represents a potential threat in times of stress. This also happens within racial groupings. For example, the Tutsi and Hutu people of Uganda. It's repeated in India, China, the Americas, and worldwide. Manufactured, brotherly, nurtured unity cannot overcome human nature and DNA when society is stressed. It's why assimilation between the races doesn't work unless it involves miscegenation wherein race is extinguished. That's exactly the plan for Europe, white replacement. This isn't to say that each race of people doesn't have value. They absolutely do for their uniqueness, but in their own nation and culture. To force race mixing extinguishes the uniqueness of true human diversity. Let's make that clear. To encourage races to run away from their nations instead of nation building is wrong. It condemns those who remain at the expense of those who fled, usually for selfish economic reasons. Transnational corporations have been press-ganged into the Great Reset. They're directed and harmonized in lockstep by adherence to ESG, DEI, and CEI corporate scores needed to access the capital and finance of the mischief-makers who are biblically known as the Jewish money lenders. The Jewish-led $20 trillion BlackRock is just one of a host of similar Jew-led investment houses and banks where the tribe dominates. Money runs the world through power, and that's precisely what they're doing now. The Holocaust narrative and anti-Semitism epithets mean we now can't even ask questions about what they're doing or their disproportionate power and influence relative to their small numbers in host nations. Europeans have been totally silenced and dare not point out the unseen culprits of the mischief and menace they're experiencing. The black, Arab, and Muslim invaders of Europe against their white hosts mean we don't see the Jewish mischief makers in Europe, let alone those in Ukraine at the moment. We don't see the Jew. It's no coincidence that chief global mischief makers like George Soros are Jewish, nor is it a coincidence Soros is a money maven, as most are. 
Money magic is a fiction most people don't comprehend. They have no idea the true nature of money and how it's brought into existence and extinguished to control the affairs of men and direct disciplined individuals using debt. Most people are to focus on daily existence and their debt to work out who owns them and is pulling the strings. White replacement is real folks. And it's not just in Europe. It's your own future. Open your eyes. And moreover, look whose interests are being served by the upheaval we've been witnessing. And the white replacement, which they deny, deny, deny. But we can plainly see with our own eyes because we're experiencing it. Europe is living it. You'd better wake up real fast. There is an undeclared war on you, your race, culture, and way of life. That's what you're seeing in Europe, and that's what you're going to see closer to home with turmoil brought about by events and changes you could never have imagined possible. Wise up. With a racially atomized Europe and the Middle East in constant turmoil, Israel and the Jewish diaspora are free to fill the power vacuums where they don't already control. The Greater Israel Project will encounter no opposition in the Middle East or from Europe with the white races decimated. America was controlled long ago with a Zionist-occupied government that fights and finances wars for Israel. The alternative is Jewish nuclear weapons. From greater Israel, it's a mere formality to world conquest as promised and directed by the Jewish Talmud. Talmudic Jews believe they're destined to rule the world as the rightful inheritors. These are not our words. Jewish supremacy is ardently believed by Jews. They truly believe they're chosen. They're convinced they're chosen to rule the world. Because their numbers are comparatively small, they pit non-Jews or Gentiles, as they're known, against each other to destroy each other, and Jews fill the vacuum they don't already control. Divide and conquer. They're always careful you don't see the Jew. That's why they have a practice of assuming names and identities of their hosts while never really assimilating. That's how the wandering Jew and their identity has survived for thousands of years without a homeland until they proclaimed Palestine as Israel in 1948. Jews had a tenuous hold on Israel until Ben-Gurion covertly nuclear armed it. Now the only tangible threat is white Europe. It's why Israel's Samson nukes are pointed at Europe. The Holocaust narrative is about white Christian Europeans and their history spell or exterminate the Jews for the mischief and menace they've caused since engineering the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and before. The Jewish claim of All right. Wrap oh. that up right there. All right. All right. There you go. And, uh, well, see, some points I disagree in that video, but the other points, uh, they're right on as far as history goes. But, uh, like I said, I like to play the facts. So, uh, you know, what, what's, um, what's, uh, what's out there and what the truth is. I mean, uh, there are a lot, I, you know, I mean, we can see a lot of the things that are happening today. Now, again, like, I started off here by addressing Kay's video that he wanted to, uh, show me last night. I did watch it. And, uh, again, again, just because Donald Trump hosts Jewish guests in the White House does not mean he converted to Judaism. You see, you have to be careful what you watch and what you listen to. Now, I like to, I don't, doesn't mean I censor anything or I don't watch of certain things because I'm not, like I said, I, I like to examine the truth and the facts. You know, I um, mean, the Gaddafi thing that happened, obviously that's true. Hillary Clinton and her proxies did do what they did there, and and they started that brotherhood, uh, that Muslim brotherhood uprising. So, um, 
uh, and Libya is in shambles today. Uh, Libya did uh, uh, rule with an iron fist in Libya, but he also did a lot of different other things, too, that were good for Libya. I don't know. I don't support Libya. I never did. I don't support Gaddafi. Uh, you know, I support the constitutional republic that we live in. So what do you think about that gunslinger, that episode there I just played? Anybody else who wants to press one, you can jump in. Go ahead. Well, you know, uh, all those people over there in Europe are getting what they deserve. They allowed yeah. these damn ragheads, uh, dishwasher ragheads, uh, toilet paper ragheads, whatever you want to call them, into their country, and now they're now they're taking them over. Okay, pretty soon there's not going to be any more of that over there. It's all going to be Mooville. I like to call it Mooville, mm-hmm. Muslimville. Yeah, <laughs> and they've done it to themselves. What did those people in Europe and UK and all that shit over there, what did they do that really fucked them? Gave up their guns. Yep. And look what's happening to them. That's where Good they point. fucked up right there. That's where they fucked up. That's the only thing that is keeping anybody, any country, your home, yourself, from being taken over by scumbags is the old yeah. pea shooter. That's it. That's your best that's Drink. your best bet. Who's your who is your best responder? Go look at the mirror. That's what I'd like to say. Go look at the mirror. That is your protector. That person looking back at you in that mirror is your number one protector. Like you're going to call the cops? <laughs> Anywhere from five to three or four hours response time? Yeah, good luck. Okay. Yeah. And if you do anything, they send cowards like they, like that clip in New York where that one cop was getting literally shit beat out of him, cut him up with a knife and a knife and uh, box cutters. Well, his partner sat there and recorded it too cowardly to intervene. Did you see that one? Wow! No, I didn't see that one yet. This wow! Is, I didn't see that one. Yeah, wow. they got they got it on video. The his partner that was in a subway, and there's like three of these. Um, I'll say I'll let you guess what color. Okay. Yeah. Thugs beating up on this cop. Okay, beating the shit out of him. Like I said, he cut his eye, and I mean all kinds of shit. While his partner was sitting there videotaping it, and two coward do intervene. That's crazy. Remember, cops, remember, cops carry guns. They're wow. too coward to use guns. Yeah, go look it up. It's on. It's on YouTube. I'm gonna yeah. have to look that one up. I think I got I mean, Cave here on the line here. But uh, I'll bring him on yeah. in a second. Go ahead. Yeah, but that's crazy, gunslinger. Yeah, I'm gonna look that video up. But what? 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 Wait a second. Now, the, yeah. was his partner black? The, the, uh, no, I believe both of them were white. The two cops. Wow. Yeah, wow. I believe that both of them are white. Yeah, yeah don't look it up. Right there. It's in the uh, uh, YouTube. And they said, man, it's, oh, man. <laughs> so yeah, this yeah. is the kind of protection. This is the kind of protection that we get when these cops yeah. are so scared <laughs> that they yeah. won't do nothing. Yeah. Wow. That they just, they're cowering their boots. Yeah, I don't trust the police anymore. I'm not going to call them. 
Yeah. Let me bring on Tave here. Go ahead, Tave. I know you got a lot to say. Well, you know what makes me fucking sick is to know the facts. The 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 minority of the people that are causing all this fucking trouble, the numbers that they have are minimal, but they have control of the media, and makes them so much bigger. And they, they've done that forever. You know that's that's the whole thing here, where people are, are brainwashed to think that these people have the power and the control. There's a in that video you were just in that clip you were playing. There's a perfect quote in there, and I can't I don't know who said it or how that guy was who he was quoting. You know how you stop all this bullshit in Israel? You pull America out of there. The umbrella of their protection is gone. They become what they created, a mess. Now, wait a second, though, that's, if that's, that's true, that's but hang on. Happened. How do you get, then what happens to the people in America then? That's not going to protect that. Well, I mean, because America, it's claimed that they control the media here in America, so what happens to them? Well, I'm just talking about us providing Israel that backbone and that and everything that they need and have to, to cause these wars with all the other Muslim um, groups over there. You know what I'm saying? They rely on us to provide them and be – we're their sole provider, but yet not Netanyahu will say, we don't need America. America needs us. That's a quote. Yeah, but yeah, but now what? Now see, that's one thing I got to disagree with. What wars is is Israel trying to provoke with with the Muslim countries? I mean, because they hate Israel anyway. Uh, well, here, let's, do this. let's do this. The entire time that these people, you have to remember, the land is Israel wasn't Israel before. It was Palestine from way back. Okay, you had a group of people. It doesn't matter who they are. When you take a group of people in an area, and you tell them. You have to move south. We're taking half of your half of your land where you've lived at all your lives. Now we're going to condense you into an area. We're going to move in all these other people. Okay, they've done that gradually to where now that these guys, the Hamas and the, this Gaza Strip, is down to two million people in twenty miles. Okay, they've been doing this shit. They well, hang on now. Want hang on. They, Didn't they we do start. that to the Indians? Didn't we do that to the huh? Indians here? Yes, they did. I'm not saying we're right because I'm Cherokee Indian. Here, no one's understanding that. But what you got to do is you got to call the fuckers out on who they are for what they're doing and make it known. You just they everybody's got this. They've been blindfolded and they've been brainwashed. The the Israel of old of the old biblical times is what's going on today. But I'm not going to say we're wrong here in America. I'm not going to say Americans are wrong for what, what happened during the Indian Wars and whatnot. Look, that's life. That's what happens. The more we, you know, that land was conquered. It, we developed it. That's it. I'm not going to be sorry for what my ancestors and founding fathers did. I'm not sorry for that. You know? But do, do you think it's right for us to fund and back these assholes over there to do what they're doing? They're not doing it well, on their own. That's the thing. We did it on our own. That's the difference. I read off the amount. Of, I think we need to support America first. I think we should have friends with all and alliances with none. 100%. Like George 100%. Washington. I think we should pull ourselves out of there. And if somebody needs help, by God, we can't fix every goddamn thing in this country, in this world. We can't do it for everybody. When we're, when we're broken ourselves. You know, if we, were, if we were at par level with everything we do, it would be cool. Then that's something else we can discuss. Maybe we can give some money to somebody if we decided to do that. But yet, 
How can our government, these assholes, these politicians, these Zionist people that believe that Israel is the godly thing when it's not? They're the evilest bastards on this planet. They've proven it. They're doing it right now. They have done it. And the problem is we need to make 110 countries America like the 109 of them did before. You have to exile and ban these people. They are of now, no what about good. Now, hang on now. Now, hang on a second, though. But what Hamas did attack them. I mean, Hamas is an evil well, here, Now, wait a minute. Before that, there was a day before this, or two days before the Hamas operation went down, that the Israelites went into the, whatever, the IDF or whatever, went into one of their synagogues over there, the mosques, and shot the whole – you don't hear a damn thing about that. Nothing. Is there, is there proof the of that? Is there proof? Yeah, they, they, they talk just... about it on the news now, but it wasn't brought up at first because you know why? Now they can talk about it because it's already too far gone. Now they're now it's everybody's operation. You know they're all right, going all right. so anyway, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, back up now. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying the IDF went over there to a mosque and did what? What did they yeah. do? They attacked one of the mosques. For I think what? there was 18 why? people killed. I think there was 18 people why? shot up in it. They want the Palestinians out of Gaza. They want the Gentiles. They want the Goyim. They want the Palestinians. They want the blacks. They want the yellows. They want everybody dead except them. Well, you know no. what? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Look, you know what? I say let them have Gaza because you know what? It's only 18 square miles of land. I mean, 18 miles wide anyway. It's not like they're trying to conquer the world. So let them have it's Gaza. Over two million you know people. Two million. Two million people and over fifty percent of them either women or children under fifteen years old. Well, then you know what? Let them go to their homeland. You know where their homeland is? That Lebanon, is homeland. Jordan. That no, is it's their not. Homeland. That is, they no, were technically there. It's they not. were there before nineteen forty-eight. They were there before yes, nineteen forty-eight. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. But they were not there. Who who do you think originally had the land before Palestine? There was the Jews had the land. The Jews the were there first, technically. No, they didn't. The, the Jews had, had the land first. And who no. had it before the Muslims? I don't know. About that. Tell me. That, but I know that the Muslims. It goes back to Abraham. The people over there. There was a divided area over there, but you know what they did before the Jews got there? They got along. The Shiites, no, no. all of them got along. The different sects of them guys are always okay. fighting now. And all right, let's go. Hang on. All right. hang, time out. Time out. Time out. Okay, we can agree. Do you agree that the Egyptians were enslaved the Jews at one time? Okay? You agree, right? No, I don't. No, I do not. You don't, so you don't so – yeah, I don't never think the Jews were enslaved. I don't think there was a Holocaust. And I, I'm going to tell you one other thing is they spun this. 23 years before Hitler was in power, the number 6 million was used. I'm going back thousands of years here. I'm not going back to the 40s. Okay. I'm going back thousands well, of years. They, this is an ongoing thing. Thousands of years, that's when it started, when they spit in Jesus' face. That's no, I'm going back started, before man. that. I'm going back before that. I'm going back before well, you're Jesus. Going back to I'm going back. I'm, I'm go- yeah. No, I'm going and back to the I'm – going back, I'm going back to Moses yeah. and that time. Well, you're okay. not going back as far as Anunnaki or ancient Samaria then. But, you're, but I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Christ was in what yeah. they call it one, one, one AD or one like year one is when Christ was around. That's how they say I'm it. Going for, I'm one. going back before Christ, BC. I'm going okay. before Christ. Before, okay? The Egyptians controlled all that land. 
The Egyptians. Well, well, Noah? well let's, let's go back to the Egyptians. You want to go back to Noah and everything? Go back to that time? Well, I mean, you want to go back, back to, to Abraham? Noah, if you want, if you want to go back to the Egyptians, then you have to worry, then you have to bring into the fact that you have to talk about the uh, the Hindu. Because the religions yeah, that come down now, see these sections. There's all kinds of different things that happen here. The religions, there was people on the planet before our Bible. Everybody thinks our Bible starts in the beginning. That that's when people were first started. There's, that's not true. If you read the Bible, the Bible states that you have. They had to go out and repopulate the land. Okay, three people, Noah's sons, didn't go out and repopulate the entire world. It's crazy. It's insanity to think that. Three men did. We went over this the other night. All right, let's get back over to let's get. We're not going to agree on that. So let's go to the. Let's go to the. Hang on. Let's go to the. Let's go. Let's get up to the Ottoman Empire and the falling of that in the 1920s, 1930s. Okay. So British, British, England controlled the land. Hang on. British, they controlled the land and they gave it to the Jews. Why? So that's it. What? They didn't give it to the Palestinians. They gave it to the Jews. Well, here's the thing. So you got to take it up with England. Now here's what happened. So it, okay, here's how, you know, this is how it works. Your Ashkenazi sect of Jews, that's the ones that's almost 98% of them today, okay? Those are your Scythians, your Mongolians, your Turkish. Those, they're not even from the Middle East. Now, let's, that's a verifiable fact DNA-wise. Let me bring on 907. Let me bring on 907 here. Hang on. Hang on, Dave. Let me bring on 907. They've been waiting here patiently. Go ahead there, 907. Well, when you guys are done arguing, I'll give. Uh, when you guys are when you guys are done arguing, I'll I'll give you a little history lesson. Oh no, go ahead. I want to hear you. Don't interrupt them. Nobody interrupt them. Go ahead. You get the floor. Go ahead. All right. The Jews have been on that land that we are talking about right now for well over two thousand. No. Well over a thousand, a thousand, a thousand years before uh, Christ was born, there have been the Jews have the Jews have lived on that piece of ground forever, for over three thousand years. Now that land has been conquered and been under different people's control a number of times. The land that is called, that that you mistakenly call uh, Palestine is the same area that the 12 tribes of, of the Jews lived in for thousands of years. Okay, first of all, it's not the land. Jews. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, Tate. He's not done. He's not done. I'm sure he'll say when he's done. Go ahead, sir. That land was not called Palestine until the Romans. And the Romans only called it Palestine because it was part of their conquered territories and they needed a word or a name to describe where they're talking about, which is the Eastern Mediterranean. The, okay. uh, 
you know, and from, you know, the Babylonians, the Philistines, uh, the Romans, the Greeks, the Turks have all uh, conquered that land. And there is uh, no time since the beginning that the Jewish people have not existed and lived on that land. In 1948, when Israel was established as a country and a homeland, or the Jews. Everything was hunky-dory until the Arab neighbors decided they were going to go to war with Israel and wipe them out. At that point in time, the Jews, the uh, not the Jews, but the Arabs countries from around that from around Israel ordered, didn't request, didn't do anything. They ordered the Transjordanians, who are now falsely being labeled as Palestinians, to leave the land because of the upcoming war. Kind of remarkable that they were worried about the civilian population. The uh, Arabs went to war with the Jews, and they lost. They lost. They they yeah. just plain yeah, that was plain lost. Right? That was no, 1948. 1948. 1948. And they lost. They attacked him again. They tried to attack him again in 67, right? 67 and 70, uh, three. 76 or somewhere in that area. No, 73, 73. Why but, do we think that these guys fight? Why do we think that these guys are always at fight or fighting with the Jews? Why do we always think, why is everybody always, always at war with them? Well, does it have anything, I, does it have anything to do with the belief in Judaism and the, and the, the following of the Talmud and their beliefs? Why they've been banned from 109 countries and exiled because of the things that they do and they believe in and the, the atrocities that they commit? The atrocities. Absolutely. The whole what, atroc- what, atro- what atrocities? What atrocities? World War I and World War II, how the 60 million people were killed in, in uh, Poland, Russia, Czechoslovakia. You know, but Marx, your communism, Marxism, Bolsheviks, that's, that's who these people are. They're not Jewish. These people are from Mongolia, Turkey area. They then, their king then moved what, them down. What, pe- what, pe- what people? They're not the Jews. That's the ones that in the Revelations, the Bible says that they claim that they are Jews, but they are not. They are the synagogue of Satan. Everybody, we're going to go into overtime here, so don't hang up. Otherwise, you can't get no, back wait, in. No, I got a private no, call here if wants to get in here. But go ahead. Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You have... you. You have got me so confused 
as to what you're talking about and how you're talking about it that it makes absolutely no sense well, I'm to me of what you're of what you're point. what you're saying. Okay, well then listen. It's not real hard to explain. Let me let me. I gave you your time to talk. Now let me tell you how I feel about it. What well, what I know for a fact is because I'm staring at the literature and the receipts right in front of me. We're talking about a group of people that were nomadic, a tribe. They wandered around. They were mercenaries for different armies because they, that's all they did. They were killers, liars, cheaters, thieves. They were from the, the Mongolian Turkish area farther north than anything. They moved south into what is now the Ukraine, which is then the former Khazaria, Khazaria land. Their king was told by the Romans, you either pick a, a, a religion or you're going to get crushed. We're going to war. You pick a side right now. And they were stuck right in the middle of it. So now you have this king of these people, the Khazarian, decides that it's between Catholic, or not Catholic, uh, Christianity, Muslim, and Judaism were the three available religions. He chose Judaism. Now you have a group this all this his whole following, his tribes. I don't know how many of them there were. I don't even know the exact number. But this group of people moved into the now Ukraine. They take on Judaism as a religion, therefore calling and, and automatically telling people they are Jews. They are not. They are the ones that have caused all the problems and the atrocities through the murdering, merciless, and the, the when they in the Homolador in pre World War One and Two, that's why you had such a problem over there because the Bolsheviks, these group of people infiltrated everything. They're called the name stealers in the Bible. Through the Silk Road, that area there, people would travel. And as they traveled, they would go to do their trading route. They let people as a hospitality thing, you're supposed to let these people stay overnight and then they would go on okay. their way the next morning. All right, so there's the people responsible. Okay. Okay, we don't need to go into all this crying. Okay, so you're saying, okay, okay, all right, so you're saying they're responsible for all this day. Okay, let me take on this other caller here, private caller, too. Private caller, go ahead. Hey, uh, Joe, this is a hot topic, and it should be. And uh, I'm going to leave the religious arguments to others because, frankly, I don't know enough about it to speak about it intelligently, and there's just too many presentations in it for me to try to chase them all down. I like to stick with the historical record as it is and the idea of nation states being created in all kinds of ways, good and bad, all of them. And I'm just like to dispel the historical facts from the myths. I mean, I'm not, I ain't taking no side. Believe me on that. Cause yeah. I okay. do not want the United States to be involved in a war in that region if we can avoid it. I do not want our soldiers going there to fight for anybody if we can avoid it. But the well, facts are, are the facts. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not going to turn it into a here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Palestine was never an exclusively Arab country. Never, ever, 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 ever. Not according to archaeological or historical evidence. No independent Arab or Palestinian state ever existed in Palestine. There was an Arab historian, a, historian, a guy named Philip Hitty, and he testified against Partition. He did not want a two-state solution. But this is what he said before the Anglo-American Committee at the UN in 1946. He said, quote, there is no such thing as Palestine in history 
Absolutely not. Before partition, Palestinian Arabs did not view themselves as having a separate identity. When the first Congress of Muslim Christian Associations met in Jerusalem in February 1919, the Jewish Palestinian delegates for the Paris Peace Conference, this is what they said in the resolution, and I quote, We consider Palestine as part of Arab Syria as it has never been separated from it at any time. We are connected with it by national, religious, linguistic, natural, economic, and geographical bounds. When the King Crane Commission found that Christian and Muslim Arabs opposed any plan to create a country called Palestine, and this is what they said. They said it was a, a recognition of Zionist claims. In 1937, another Arab leader named Ani Bey Abdul Hadi told the Peel Commission, which was investigating the matter. Remember, the British had the mandate because they conquered the damn Ottomans and kicked them out. That's why they had control of the region, like most things, by war and conquest. Of course, they lied to both sides. They lied to the Arabs, and they lied to the Jews, and that was partially a result of what's going on today. But I don't want to digress. I don't want to digress. I want to get yeah. straight to the point. Okay, he said, this is what Ani Bey Abdul Hadi told the Peel Commission. There is no such country as Palestine. Palestine is a term the Zionists invented. There is no Palestine in the Bible. Our countries were for centuries part of Syria. The representative of the Arab Higher Committee, the United Nations, echoed this sentiment when he told the General Assembly in May of 1947, he said this, Palestine was part of the province of Syria, and the Arabs of Palestine did not comprise a separate political identity. A few years later, Ahmed Shukiri, later who was chairman of the PLO, told the Security Council, it is common knowledge that Palestine is nothing but southern Syria. And then you go on and on. You got, over the last 2,000 years, you got all these migrations and invasions, the, uh, the, uh, the crusades, the plagues that killed off most of the local people, Palestinian and Jew. And, and then you got the, the entire local population has been replaced many times over by various groupings of Jews and Arabs over the last 2,000 years. During the British mandate alone, more than 100,000 Arabs emigrated from neighboring countries and are today considered Palestinians. Again, just like the first, second, and third Aliyah of Zionists heading for Israel from all over the world. Yes, they did. Even though the Jews have had a continuous presence in Palestine, for the last 3,700 years, the Ottoman Empire, which ruled the area for over 500 years with an iron fist, in this census in the 15th century, said that Jews made up 20% of the population in that region. You got this, all this evidence over and over again saying this about Palestine, none, never being separate, always being the province of the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire. It has never been independent, never, never, never. And, the, and when, they, when they created the Israeli partition, the mandate that the Arabs rejected, they could have had a two-state solution in 1948. They rejected because they did not want a Jewish nation in their mix. They flat out rejected it. Uh, uh, the, 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 even then, they were told, that the Israelis told them, look, you Palestinian Arabs, you are now citizens of the nation of Israel. Stay and help us build our nation. They said this in public pronouncements. You can go see the videos where they said it. You don't have to leave 
We're telling you you can stay and be part of our nation. But their Arab leaders in Jordan and Transjordan and Syria told them, get out of the way. We're going to exterminate these Jews and drive them into the sea. And then when we do, you come back and take their shit. And so they left because they didn't want to be considered rebels and they didn't want to be considered, uh, you know, opposing what their leaders said. And the real war changes every damn thing, for God's sake. That's why you don't want to get in a war if you can avoid it. But the Arabs insisted yeah. upon it. They would not allow Israel to exist. That, I mean, I swear to God, I've never seen people yeah. so utterly opposed to any sort of conciliatory gesture whatsoever. I've never seen any of Israel's Arab neighbors make any sort of conciliatory gesture whatsoever toward Israel, and Israel has made dozens. It is a nation. Yeah. Yeah. It was made a nation by a vote of the United Nations. It was 33 to 12 to create the damn thing when the British turned the issue over to the United Nations for settlement because they wanted to wash their hands of it like Bunch's pilot. Yeah, yeah. Are Hang on, let me bring up 417, sorry. Hang on, Dave. I got one more caller to get to, Dave, before you go back talking. I got one more caller. 417, go ahead. You've been waiting patiently. 417. Hang on, Dave. 417, go ahead. Uh, yes, yes. I This is my first time ever calling into a radio show like this. <laughs> and I would like to yeah, let you know, praise Jessel, you need to let open your heart to the Lord. And you've got to give some of that freedom out there to Jesus, because he went on the cross and died for you. That's what they said. But I love Mongolian barbecue. This is Ron Reck, and I certainly don't give a fuck. It is what it is. Palestinian <laughs> bullshit. I mean, come the fuck on, man. They changed their name like I changed my mind. Jack it off. There ain't no difference. They're still not what they supposed to think they are. That's the reality of this bullshit. So you guys are kind of swinging around in circles on this topic. I mean, but George Sarge, you're right. Absolutely. These motherfuckers, it's ate up, worst way. It's, it's crazy shit. But people are too busy about it. They say one thing yeah. about religion, and okay, here it is, man. Religion, more motherfuckers have died over religion and bullshit than anything in this world. Religion. Because you believe in some hocus-pocus bullshit. You're going to have to fucking die. Because we don't like it where you look. You believe, in, you believe in Santa Claus, so you must die. You believe in the fucking cheeseberry, you must die. That, well, it's, what religion it's, all, it's all labeling and bullshit. What's that? What religion teach that? Well, not all religions teach that, though. You know? They teach conflicting. They teach conflicting information to the other religions. They're bad, we're good, that's that. That's all the letters to it, man. That's how they do it. That's how they start these conflicts. Right. We are the good, we are the good religion. They're the bad religion. And they say the same thing. They're the bad religion. We're the good religion. So it's, it's been yeah. never ending. It's, it's never stopped. It ain't ever going to. Now, what, why are we yeah. over there? Who fucking knows? Why are we wasting our goddamn time? These motherfuckers will be going to before the Bible. You know, this ain't nothing fucking new for these motherfuckers over there. Don't kill each other. Who yeah. gives a shit? Once they're all fucking dead, our problem's over. You know, we're saying to come to that conclusion. I always said, hey, you know what? And, and Joe, hey, Joe, Joe. We've yeah. been fighting for a thousand years. We're not going to change nothing. Change How are we going to change what That's right. That's right. I, I keep saying right. I don't want the United States involved in it in any way, shape, or Look, I, will, I don't mind the Israelis coming to the United States and using foreign aid money they're already getting by treaty. We don't have to give them no extra money to come on the United States. They want to buy weapons to defend their nation. Fine. They got a right to do that. Just like every other sovereign nation 
dozen of worlds. Yeah. Who's the ones I hate? I hate what, China. I hate China. Money. China has a right to defend its nation if it's attacked. Every nation does. So if they want to defend their nation and buy our weapons, fine, let it happen. But here's one thing that did not happen. This is something that did not happen. The Zionists did not take that land from the Palestinians. The 132nd of that region that was allocated to be initially the nation of Israel in 1948 is 132nd of that land mass area, that region called the Levant or Palestine. It was prior to the Zionists settling there and improving conditions by draining the malarial swamps, making the desert bloom, creating agricultural opportunities, putting in sewage and water, fresh water and everything else. That's when the sparse Arab population grew. In fact, it grew like this. You had the Arab population. The Arab population grew. This listen to numbers. This is from the censuses of the time. The, 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 first of all, the Muslim infant mortality rate fell from 201 per thousand in 1925 to 94 per thousand in 1945. The life expectancy of the average Arab went from 37 years in 1926 to 49 in 1943. The Arab population increased the most in cities where large Zionist populations and created new economic opportunities from 1922 to 1947. The non-Jewish population increased, get this now, 290% in Haifa, 131% in Jerusalem, 158% in Jaffa. The growth in Arab towns, now listen to this, here was the growth in the Arab towns that were largely Arab. Only 42% in Nablus, 78% in Janine, and 37% in Bethlehem. And the Arabs flocked there because the Jews, I mean the Zionists, really it was the Zionists, who made the area more attractive to them to come there for opportunities, for business opportunities, better living conditions and everything else. They didn't drive them off the land. They were attracted to it by the work the Jewish Zionists were doing. It is indisputable. The Arab leaders remarked on it on the time. They were kind of disgusted with their Arab brothers for not doing better. And they wrote regularly how dismayed they were by the fact that the Zionists were doing all the hard work. I can give you the quotes. I mean, big leaders, big-time Arab leaders. But this is the problem we're running into, though. People are saying the Jews control the bank. They control the TV. They're destroying our economy. What do you say to that? Design, design. Oh, look, look, uh, look, they're helped by a lot of Gentiles, let's face it. Yeah, there are Jews that control it. Yeah, many of the Jew Marxists, you know, you know how I feel about Marxism. Many of the Marxists who founded all of that were, were, were Jews, but there were a lot of Gentiles right there along with them, and a lot of Gentiles, hey, there's a whole lot of blame to go around. I'm for anybody that's in my way when it comes to liberty. I don't care what they are. I don't care what their religion is. I don't care what their skin color is. They're in my way. I'm going after them. But I'm not going to single out the Jews for any of this because plenty of Gentiles are helping them out too. Here's what I don't understand, okay. Sarge. With such, with what, everything that we've done for Israel, why the fuck did they attack the Liberty Day like they did? Why did they do that? You know, now, now that's, that's a good one. Now you got a, you got a good. That's a good. That's a good issue to bring up. You know, everything and, and, and it was done. ironically, it was kind of like the Pané. In 1937, when a Japanese bombed a United States Navy gunboat on the Yangtze River in China, and they claimed right. it was a big mistake, and it was a big diplomatic incident, 
and they paid a lot of money in reparations to the dead sailors' families and the United States government and all that stuff. But, you know, but they, one thing they did do, since we were not at war with them yet, they apologized profusely. They said they screwed up completely, and they paid money. Now, the, the, the Israelis might not have made quite as much of a public announcement of their wrongdoing, but they did pay a lot of money in terms of reparations. I, I find it almost inexcusable that they did it. But let's face it, countries do a lot of shit that's inexcusable. That was one of the things you got to chalk up to the Israelis. I don't mind anybody pointing it out. But yeah. you know, the Israelis yeah, have not that. ever come forward and took it and said they are sorry. They paid some money. I think it's a total of nine, nine million or nine billion. I'm not sure which it is, but that's they not a, a little bit more than nine million, a lot more than nine million. Okay, but, but they condemn the entire culture of people, though. You know, and I mean, it's just wrong. You're, but but Katie just condemned the entire. And certainly, and certainly, we can't hold American Jews responsible for the actions of a foreign sovereign state. I mean, good Lord, we got people here in the United States who are almost traitors with the nation of China. Look how they enable the nation of China. They're American citizens, and they run around, they run around enabling China to the detriment of our own citizenry. Hey, now, I'm not going to single out the Israelis. I got, I got my own fellow Americans undercutting my own country like this. Own prisoners in bed with China. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. But, and I, I, don't mean I mean, I'm just saying, man. You know, I mean, I, mean, I understand, but look, look, I don't have any problem with anybody wanting to criticize any sovereign nation on the planet. That includes Israel. Baby hands ain't clean. They done done a lot of dirt. Okay, I get it. Criticize them all you want for the wrong stuff they've done. They're just like any other sovereign country. They're interested in survival. They have a right to defend themselves when they're attacked. And, and, then, and they made it formal, unlike us with the stupid shit we do. They declared war. They went and got a vote yeah. in their Knesset, yeah. which, by the way, That's their true. Knesset, 20% of the Israeli Knesset is Arab. Palestinian Israeli yeah, citizens yeah. and other Arabs. Twenty percent of the Israeli Knesset is Arab or Palestinian. That, they, you ain't gonna find that in any in any Arab country anywhere in the region. Ain't no Jews nowhere. No how no way are they gonna accept such a thing. But anyway, the yeah. legislature voted. The legislature voted to go to war against Hamas. This way, they serve notice on the world. They are on a war footing. And they're going to do the things under the rules of international warfare that countries do when they're serious about an existential threat. I wish this country would be that that, that righteous or that that that, that or had that much fortitude. Yeah. Yeah, we'll How about Hamas being created by Israel in Netanyahu? I don't. That was another miscalculation. You're right. They did. That, to, that, well, not as I much know, as people say, but they did. Was, look, they thought that that, that Hamas was going to be a counterbalance against the PLO and Hezbollah. They miscalculated. Right. They, that ain't nothing new in, in terms of power politics. Look what happened before the World War I. The same yeah, thing I, happened I, before I, World War I. It's nothing new. I'm just saying it's about nothing Obama. new. ISIS and Obama. Yeah, we created ISIS, by the way. The United That's States right. created ISIS. Yeah. Right. You know, Osama bin Laden, we created Osama bin Laden. You know, yeah. I mean, come on. Look, look, all I'm saying is, this lot, look, look, you can blame Israel for a lot of things. I do not think you can blame them for responding to an existential threat. They have to do it. Otherwise, they've got no right to call themselves a government. 
Their citizens shouldn't even pay taxes if they wouldn't do something about this. Yeah, right. but and we got people in the streets of America that are, that are, that are ready to rip the country apart. Exactly right, that, yeah. And they ought to deport every single goddamn one of them that's a foreigner that's supporting a terrorist organization designated as a terrorist organization by the United States government. And if they're supporting them, they ought to be deported. They got no, they got no right. right to demonstrate. They got the right. They, they got to behave according to the rules of their visa. And if they violate it, kick their asses out my goddamn country. Kick their asses out. You got goddamn politicians that are terrorists. Look at what's her face up. I mean, Omar and and, and AOC and yeah, Tlaib. Some more, yeah. Some but, uh, more hey, listen, listen, hang on. 907 <laughs> got cut off there when he was trying to talk there, so I, I didn't know if he finished his point. But go ahead, 907. Everybody give him his respect here, you know? Come on. You, want, you got anything else to say? Well, <clears throat> yeah. Do you know what you're observing right now? No. Do you guys know what you're observing right now? Tell us. You are no, observing... You are you are observing 1930s all over absolutely. again. Yep, you're right. You are absolutely right. You're watching exactly. If you can the blueprint for what's happened in in Germany and Europe is happening right here stateside. Yeah, I'd well, say well, about six months before you know, Christmas. Do you, know, do you know? Hey, do you know that in 1930? We had people demonstrating and marching on behalf of Adolf. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. W.E. Du Bois was one of them. of them in New York City at Madison Square Garden or something. But, but yeah, the, yeah. Bond, yeah. the German, the German American Bund. You know, you know that Adolf Hitler never gave no direct order to kill any Jews in those camps. There's no direct order ever found. Well, uh, well, I, I would agree with you. They never found one, so let's just put it that way. They never found the direct order to do it. Hey, a lot of people yeah. got shot. I don't believe you. Got, you got to remember one thing about the Germans. Now, the Germans, the Germans might have done some bestial things, but let me tell you one difference between them and the mob. Now, yeah, they would make a big deal out of taking hostages and shooting them if, say, some uh, a guerrillas attacked German soldiers and killed them. Okay, they make a public thing about that. If you do this. You kill one of our soldiers, we're going to kill 10 of you. And they make a public thing about that. But when it came to Bobby Yar and it came to the camps, they did their very best to keep that a secret because they really were kind of ashamed of or that very least they knew that the world found about it, it was going to be some shit. So they decided we better try to cover it up as best we can. Hamas is bragging about it. That's right. And yeah. they're filming it. And they're bragging about, oh, look at this. We burning babies in office, man. Ain't, this Ain't we bad? Look, we got this little girl in the back of the pickup truck. We about ready to cut off her head. We broke her legs and everything else and raped her ass and shot her in the head. Hey, look, ain't we bad? You know what that's the difference. That's the difference between the Germans and the Nazis and the Hamas. And the Bolsheviks. Because the Bolsheviks did the same thing to the, the, the Christians and the, the uh the Russians and the Poles over there, they would rape their daughters and their wives in front of the men. Then they would kill them, and they would nail them to the but, side but look, of their look, barn. Look, and you never look, heard a word about look, it. George Washington said friends with all alliances with none. You know? And I stand behind that. I think you he know? was right. I think he was right. 
And do you, Look, and I don't want to give. I don't want American troops real, in no ground war in that area. I, I, we'll be involved with Iran. The next thing you know, we'll be involved with Russia, and we'll be fighting China too. And our military is a shadow of itself when it comes to fighting on the ground. Yeah, go ahead, nine oh seven. Do you realize that we have Bolsheviks all over our nation? I damn sure do. Yeah, we do. Damn sure do. They they just don't call them. They just don't call themselves Bolsheviks. No, they're called Zionists. (laughs) On the ground, on the ground, we end up in a civil war. They're called. They're called. No, they call themselves communists. Marxists. We're Marxist Leninists. Hey, by the way, guys, you realize that this is the fifty? What is it? The the fiftieth? No, the forty ninth anniversary. Of Jonestown, what did your Jim Jones call himself in his movement? He said the People's Temple were Marxist-Leninists, and you know what? The, that, the mainstream press hardly ever covered that aspect of that bastard movement. He was a Marxist. Oh, 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 he was a Marxist revolutionary, and he hobnobbed with all the top name uh, Democrats on the West Coast. Diane Feinstein, Rosalind Carter, all kinds of couldn't wait to have a picture taken with Jim Jones. What are you talking about, the Jones? <laughs> what are you talking about? Rosalind Carter, Rosalind Carter just dropped dead yesterday. Yeah, seen that. Yeah, I know. She was a nice lady for the most part, but look, she was a Democrat, and Democrats run with some strange bedfellows, and J- Jim Jones was one of the strangest. All them big politicians out there on the West Coast were hanging out with uh, Jim Jones. That motherfucker gave Kool-Aid a bad name. Oh, man. (laughs) And remember, the key thing is he was a Marxist-Leninist, man. He was a little psychopathic, sexually degenerate dictator, and he governed that place like he was a madman combination of Mao and Joseph Stalin. Yeah. I didn't even throw in a little Adolf. I throw a little Adolf in there. But, you know. Yeah, it had to. Throw it in there. <laughs> How about yeah, the Russian parliament during uh, the, the, the whole deal going over there with the Bolshevik Resolution? And 75% of the Russian parliament wasn't even Russian. Well, you mean the, uh, the Duma? You mean the Duma? Yeah, they had the Bolsheviks take over. They, they, they had commandeered everything over there. That whole thing, everything well, they we, they knew about Russia and everything that happened bad over there was so, so awful. The more I learn about it, it makes me sick because, it, it, like you said earlier, we're going to see this shit stateside because it's the same blueprint from the same kind of people doing the same shit, just a different day. Exactly. You know, exactly. you want to hear the funny part about all this? They're not doing it in the fashion they did back in the 30s. Because sometimes they did, they did a lot more of it because they can get by with a lot more of it. Today, you can't do it all. Because today, we have what we call the fucking Internet and cameras up everybody's asshole. So you can't yeah. do what you used to be able to do to be a fucking evil dictator. And the whole thing is a power trip. It's a goddamn power trip, and that's all the fuck it is. You know, I, you're going to go by what I want you to fucking do because fear. People believe in fear. But here's the problem these fuckers run into. They run into people that don't have no fucking fear. So they have to kill them. So as the other motherfuckers know, here is the fear. If you don't fucking go along with what I tell you, you're going to die, be raped, raped, killed, head chopped off, and whatever. Your asshole ring by car chop, whatever it fucking takes to get you to follow me and go along with this bullshit plan I got. That's what they do. That's what it's all about. It's all about fear. Fear and money. 
are the two of the biggest things that ever make anything ever happen. You want something to happen, scare that motherfucker or throw money at him. One of the two, they're yeah. going to give if one of the two. If not both. Yeah. yeah. And that's how wars play. Then you have to ask the question, who the fuck's financing this shit? You ever notice that every war we were in, there's one fucking company financing both sides and they make the decision who the fuck's going to win. Yeah. This goes all the way back to the Civil fucking War. And people don't realize that. They don't understand that it's never part in history. But it's there. Just look it up. You'll see it. The fucking Civil War was financed by one bank. One bank but, you know. but you know one thing, though, that you hear these leftists making these arguments against Israel? They sound almost exactly like the hate-filled arguments they make against the United States. Yeah. Listen to the words they're using. And the way they characterize yeah. it. They sound almost identical. Playbook. Just change same the name playbook. of the country. Sarge, same playbook. Same playbook, bro. Sarge, I promise same playbook. I know. I know. <laughs> it's crazy, ain't it? Yeah, you know, it is. Yeah. What the fuck? Where did I hear that before? You know what I'm saying? I, what I hate is so many people are falling for it. Yes, Sarge. Yeah, I, like, I gotta say like this. fish in the barrel. The number one enemy. Ron, the number one enemy out there is a white American male. You know, they're out there. There it is. Hey, by the way, Joe, guess why I know we may be headed for a war? You want to know why I know we may be headed for a war? Because the United States Armed Forces look like it's trying to recruit white males now. Yep. They ain't giving up on all this mama. Heather got two mommy shit. And now they're going after the heterosexual, median, football playing white male because they know that's the motherfucker that fought every one of our wars and they kept this country safe for the most part. So now they're going to try to recruit white males because they know they may have to call on that white male to defend this country. And they've been denigrating the white male and shutting him off his ass and treating him like he's a sack of shit for the last 30, 40 years. And now I'm like, uh-oh, shit's about to hit the fan. Guess who we need you come up like we had you coming ashore on Omaha Beach and running an MG42 machine gun fire. Hey, we need a bunch of these suckers again. Yeah, but they ain't turned out that good. The Sarge brother, they ain't turned out that good because you remember recruiting scores are way low. Motherfuckers are Man, that's what really worries me. I'm looking at these ads now, and it looks like they're aimed at heterosexual men generally. And in particular, heterosexual white man. How's the PR doing on this? I I just don't see enough ads being pushed. I don't see enough, actually, no good incentives being offered. But yeah, but you're, you're right. He's right. I noticed the ads yeah. on TV have been changing. They've been changing to glamorize and the white guy now again. If you got a chance to get some yep. alternative media and hear some of these rabbis that talk, they flat out tell you. We have barbecued Europe already, and we are coming to America. We, are, we have already begun the process of the invasion to mud it down, and it, it's, it, it makes me sick to say it, that blueprint again, because if you look back what happened in the 30s, they introduced mm-hmm. porn. They introduced the all kinds of Catholic Church was involved, too. Adultery. The Catholic Church. Yeah, they, everything went. They I can't complain about thing. the porno. I can't. I can't. I'm a, I'm a very avid follower. Uh, yeah, but, you know, come on, Rod, come on now, come on. Well, you know, I mean, chill. I'm a, you know, I'm fucking around. Be selfish, but you know, no, that porn's been around forever. It's just, it was done actually live, believe it or not, before the drug film. It was actually done live, really. So I mean, it goes really more. What happened to Ron Jeremy? 
well, he made his millions. He made his millions. He sure did. He's been in our jail thing quite some few times. I don't. I'm, I don't follow. The, I don't follow that much. I just follow the history of the act. It's all. You know, yeah. I did. Yeah. I mean, it's not some pervert and freaky guy. I am forget. But no. But I like that movie about Larry Flint, Flint actually. Larry Flint. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, Larry Harrison played it. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I'm off topic. So. Yeah. The one. from France where they show the uh, the gangs now got the guns from Afghanistan. They got belt-driven fucking belt-fed guns. Please, yeah. yeah. What a they got squad automatic yeah. weapons, man. I saw one of them carrying around an FN an FN two forty nine. And that's the same kind of shit they left by the hundreds of hey, thousands in Afghanistan. Let me say something about that real quick, because I got a buddy of mine from the Marine Corps. Check, background check required. Ain't that nice. Hey, <laughs> yeah, background check, yeah, right. <laughs> yes, sir. My buddy's in the Marine Corps, and he came home two weeks ago, and we talked for about three hours. It was two days ago. He told me, he goes, all them fucking weapons, everybody thinks that the, the media have been blowing up saying that we fucking abandoned so many of them things over there in Afghanistan. And we've been sending the Ukraine both. He goes, don't believe it for a fucking minute. He goes, not all of it, because some of it stayed here and has been put in places. And he goes, the ammonium nitrate train has fucking crashed in the middle of the country, and nobody could figure out where the six cars of that shit went. They had enough, that's enough to blow up ten uh, World Trade Centers. Guess what? Cells are being set up because they got them fucking training in Eagle Pass, fucking Arizona, inside of Walmart. You could see it going on like you're watching a goddamn jihad uh, training video. You know, I tell you, folks, I just ordered new. I just ordered new canisters for my gas mask. I got gas masks for everyone in my family, and I just ordered some new canisters because the other ones are ending the near the shelf life. So I got a bunch of new canisters now, so I'll be set for if and when these bastards set off some chemical warfare weapons. Maybe a little chlorine, phosgene, maybe lewisite, maybe yeah. mustard gas. Who knows what they yeah. might do? Well, in fact, they've been tested with like COVID, so what's the, what's the difference? Just with yeah. COVID. You, know, I mean, you really think something's going to jump off here? I don't think so. That is chemical warfare. COVID was a chemical warfare. That was the beginning of it. That was COVID already. They just, that was a test run. Yeah, exactly. That's all it was. Yeah. Yeah, nerve is cockroach spray for people. Yeah. What about the fucking mosquitoes yeah. this guy's putting out in fucking public now? That nobody, why doesn't somebody walk up and slap him in the fucking mouth and all, all the white right off of his teeth? He's injecting mosquitoes with malaria where there hasn't been a malaria outbreak in the United States in fucking 40 years. Now there's three states <laughs> with it. Because it's jack-off. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Look, guys, I didn't have malaria. Believe me, you don't want that shit. I was getting malaria shakes for three years after I got back from uh, Southeast Asia. And I'm telling you right now, they probably didn't supercharge that strain to make it even more virulent than the kind that I caught. Can you imagine? Uh, I mean, the guy's putting on a fucking seminar in front of a, a whole room full of people. I, I guess there's like 250 people in there. He's got a jaw of them sitting on top of his podium. He opens it up and says, why should all the rich people have all the fun? He let them out. Oh, right Lord. Oh, Lord. Said, hey, That's all we need. Yeah, great. Hey, they got, did he bring up a small, did he, bring, did he have any smallpox canisters, too? I wish they'd all been on his ass because it wouldn't ate much. Fucking, I, I, why are people like that allowed to be around? They, 
Why don't we take those people and make an example of them and say, listen, if there any of these fuckers want to act like this, this is what's going to happen to you. If you want to act like this degenerate bum, you get what you get. God, oh, wait a minute, man. You're misconcepting the whole concept. It's a free country. Oh. It's free. If you pay for it, it's free. So as long as you pay for it, you can do whatever you fucking want. Money talks, I mean, we're not even controlled by us, we the people. We, this whole country is not controlled by its own fucking people. It's controlled by the goddamn English. Everybody says, what do you mean, Ron? What do you mean? Well, here's a nice little thing. Here's a good thing you can always fucking remember. You might have heard this one. You control the money, you control the people. Guess who owns that fucking Federal Reserve Bank? The fucking Central Bank of England owns that bitch. It's all theirs. Them and the fucking Catholics. They, are, they run this fucking show. They run America. They run England. They run everything. You know what I mean? I'm gonna, I'm, it's going to say bad when I go outside and smoke a fucking faggot. You know, that's what that's what they are. They run the show. Look at it. It's common, it's common sense right in front of us, man. The Federal Reserve. Bullshit. We threw these cocksuckers out twice. Twice we threw them out of here. Twice. And they came back. They just changed your name. They changed your fucking name. Instead of the Central Bank, well, we'll call ourselves the Federal Reserve. Oh, boy, that bullshit is true. I don't believe it's going to be a poppy song. I think it's going to be completely delightful. You see, I mean, that's what the fuck they do, man. That's what they did. You know, when the concept of Andrew Johnson and Bush are coming down, fuck, they throw out that fly. And say, so, well, fuck, we ain't got to fight him. We can fuck him with money. Fuck it, let's do that. And it worked out. Hey, I'm just waiting on my fucking deed to come in from Ukraine because apparently we sent them enough fucking money. We all have about have a fucking ten by ten fucking stretch of land over in that motherfucker. Derek, you're gonna have to come out into my villa in Ukraine. You're gonna have to come out to my villa. Well, really? Well, yeah, dollar goes a long way in Ukraine. <laughs> well, we got yeah, Ukraine. Well, we got Ukraine. Yeah. We got money. We got Israel. We can get private. Let's go to Venezuela. Venezuela is like a millionaire with 10 bucks, man. You know, hey, Ray, we gave him $6 million to Iran. How is the cash? We had some extra rain around. We had to get rid of it. Did Matthew Lesko set that up? Did he get some fucking grant from the Iranians? They must have the Matthew Lesko fucking Bibles. You ever watch that guy who dressed up in all the stupid fucking outfits and shit? You know, you get pretty money from the fucking government. You know? Oh, man, C-130s loaded with pallets of money for the Iranian mullahs. Yeah, the first fucking phone call was, Matthew Lesko, you say you can have my people, we can get the GI, we can fuck it up. Matthew Lesko said, yeah, yeah, I can get your grant. Free money. We got a weak military and a real fucking country, but we can give money away. Like, there's no fucking tomorrow. How can you do that when you don't have it? I just can't seem to fucking gather that. Am, am I fucking losing my screws? Maybe so, but, you know, look, it, it is real. How can we afford to give all this shit away to all these foreign countries, but we're so much in fucking debt, they're going to close government down? Fucking close it. You're the reason we're going to fucking way. Look, 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 at all the hell, look at all the hell they gave Donald Trump. We're trying to make those goddamn Europeans pay their fair share of NATO. Exactly. They don't want that. It's just the European app. They got no. They believe, and they've been conned themselves. It's, it's, okay. So it's look. I'm about ready to have a stroke, heart attack, and some other fucking problem in a minute. The thing is, 
The thing is, common fucking sense is not in these fuckers' vocabulary. They don't get it. This shit is so un. Ninety percent of all this going on in this world today is mostly bullshit. Don't make no fucking sense. Senseless bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know why? What? What? Yeah. You know? Because you have to feed some of your friends, like the military complex. You know the oil people. You know. I mean, today I see diesel drop down to four fourteen a gallon. I said, "Well, fuck, hallelujah." That don't make a yeah. bit of goddamn difference. And I, I had, you know, I did a seminar and was talking to some people not too long back and explained to them, if you think about it, okay, you think, well, the gas price is high, you don't understand the point of this, do you, the re- reality of it. The more the cost of that liquid fucking gold you put in your car gets in price on the market, the more the government gets in tax money because it's done by a percentage. The percentage that you spend is what they collect on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. It, they make more. The more it costs, the more they make. Why do you think they jack this shit up? Why do you make, you know, they deal with their friends to make it go up? It's, it's, it's a setup. They want more, more, more. Then they need more money, and they're closing fucking up. So they got the money. But we're already in bankruptcy. This country's already bankrupt. I didn't know you could file for it again. I guess so. After some years, you could do it again. It, it, it's, it ain't what, the, in reality, this ain't what we think it is. United States of America, I don't think it's the right fucking wording for this. The United States, I believe, is a fucking management firm, and I believe America is a country. And these motherfuckers are running it. You know, on our cost, using us. <laughs> you know, when I said Lincoln freed the slaves, no, he didn't. Nope. But, no, code didn't matter. Everybody became one. 1933, the, the birth certificate came out. W.T. Farm followed right behind it. And once you sign the WT form, you give consent to let them take the money from you for working your fucking ass off. Yeah, we're a bunch of serfs. And it ain't something, man. This, I believe, is reality. I believe that's the fucking reality we live in, man. It's sad. It's mm-hmm. a sad situation. You know, if you know if you're not an independent, you know, worker or business owner, you, know, you can steal money for them. I mean, I am, and I do. I steal for money for the government. I do it every day. You buy some, I charge you fucking sales tax. Well, yes, I don't get to keep that money. I'm doing it for them. <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I, you're I a bag. Uh, Ron, are you saying you're a bag yeah. man for Uncle Sam? Yeah, more or less, yeah. And you want to know something else I was just fucked up about this? I had to go to the Department yeah. of Revenue and pay these motherfuckers some money to get a fucking tax number so I can steal money from you. And I asked you, I said, so it's kind of fucked up, bro. Because what do you mean? I said, I got to give yeah. you money to steal money for you. And he looked at me too. He goes, "Fuck, you're right." I said, "Yeah, fuck, you didn't realize that." He goes, "Damn, you're well, right." I said, "Yeah, man." You know what's really true. sad, though. We know what really is My sad. Fuckers, from, 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 for the last, for the last about the last eighty, seventy-nine, seventy-eight, eighty years, mm. owning a home has been a hallmark of the American dream. It was within the reach of most Americans who earned an average salary, provided they were prudential with their money and, and managed it wisely. Most Americans, I'm not saying all now, most Americans could aspire to owning a home within, the, within their pre-retirement lifetime. Now, that is no longer true. That's a goddamn thing, no. man. Well, but you, but you know why, don't you? You, you remember the nuclear family shit just didn't work out, okay? Because you remember, Dad used to be the breadwinner. 
You know, mom go grocery shopping every day, have her own car, dad pays for gas. And he only needed one. He only needed one income. Right, one income. And mom could go to fucking IGA or Kroger's or whatever fucking Bigly Wigglies. You know, fill a shopping cart up stuff and pull a grocery like no fucking tomorrow for like twenty bucks and, and get the green staff too. I'm saying it's like them motherfuckers get yeah. money, free gas right. toaster, mixer, shit like that. Get a bank account, and get a free fucking toaster. You see what I mean? That's how it used to be. Riverside, man, it is. Weren't they fucking nice? Remember, just leave it to, it was leave it to beaver time. You know, that's what I call it, leave it yeah. to beaver time. Them days are way fucking over. All of a sudden, here, here comes this shit. Well, we're going to increase the price of fuel right off, right off the bat, right in the 70s, man. We stuck right to right the fucking love and hippie days were over. Let's, let's stick to these motherfuckers now. Let's have an oil crisis in 1976 and my son's in all the fucking country. Let's do it. So they did. That's when it shit. Remember, they had the fucking fuel lines and all that shit. It, you know, you only get so many gallons of gas, and it was fucking crazy. It, it got bad fast. So here's what happened. When that happened, the price of everything else at the grocery store went up. Okay, everything did. Gas went up. So did the price of everything around you. So now mom has to go to fucking work. You know, she has to cutting hair, babysitting kids, cleaning houses, shit like that. That's how it all started. You know, then you, then you got the great companies like Mary Kay and fucking Tough Work came out online. Full of brush company, you know what I'm saying? So they they make these million people go run a fucking empire and still wipe asses on the babies, stick a titty in their mouth and be happy throughout the fucking day, watching believe it or fucking out whatever the fuck as the world turns, some fucking soap opera bullshit, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they get living that fantasy land world, you know. Did Bobby fucking butt rape Susie? See tomorrow, you know, shit like that. And you know they waited. Women stayed up all night. Oh my God, he's really gonna do it. It's just shit like that. You know, it, we we just we became stupid. But once that happened, when the mom went back to work, mom found other dudes. So mom started fucking around. So guess what? The divorce rate started going up. And all these big fucking law firms say, hey, "Fuck, I want a piece of the action." So they did. Now all these big law firms specialize in divorce cases. Fucking right. Perfect. Okay, both mom and dad got money. Perfect. Perfect. You know, well look here, they just filed this last week and. You know, I need you to give me another twelve hundred dollars so we can file this to fight them off that. And then it goes on the other side, the other one to the dude. The dude's already say, Hey man, look here, they just filed this. You know, I need another fifteen hundred bro to, you know, to make this happen for you know. So to kick us more money. Then it goes back, well they just did the same back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I watched this. I watched it go down, you know, many times. It's fucked up. I mean, it's fucked up. But once here's the fucked up part. You know how they mostly these big corporate fucking lawyer divorce lawyers firms work? When they'll stop and settle that case when you're both fucking broke and practically homeless, if not homeless. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's going to hit bottom. Whoever it is is the one who loses. You know what I mean? Comes homeless, don't have the kids, don't have the house, don't have a car, don't have nothing. And paying that exorbitant amount of fucking child support. And then you sign the papers agreeing to it. You sign the contract and say, yeah, I will. Duh. See, so it's just it's fucked up. But it's no longer you're not married just you and your wife. You're married to the fucking state. They're in this marriage with you. Because you know, it's technically, technically in the reality of real world, what it's called is called a corporate joiner. Two corporations uniting as one. You know, remember Kmart? Sears bought them out. There you go. But they let Kmart yeah. keep their name. That I came or came in, and you see women, some women do keep their last names. See what I mean? 
because it keeps giving bit, keeps that fifty percent control alive. So as a woman, it takes a man's name, releases one percent of her rights to him, and it gives him fifty-one percent control of the corporation. Yeah. So. And then, of course, you know the, the thing is, the daddy's going to have more money, so the the government, state, county, well, of course, we county corporate, uh, would be. Um, Looking at which one they need to buck the most, you know, because every guy that pays child support is paying a percentage of them too. They make a percentage off of that. A lot of people, no, they don't. They, the government don't. Like, Fuck, they don't. They wouldn't do it. Why would you do something you're not getting paid for? That don't make no sense, does it? So there's money involved every time. But you know, I tell people, you know, all the time. I'm you guys heard my show. I, I talk about the fact of uh, freedom ain't free. You got to pay for this shit. You know, you want to travel down the road? You got to buy fuel, right? Yeah, they're gonna cost money. You want to be able to do it, be able to drive a vehicle? We got to get a license from these fucking assholes, permission from them, because it's a privilege. It ain't a fucking right. It's a fucking privilege. You had the right to me said so. Well, y'all the masses? I got to be good, motherfucker. But you know that's what, that's what they do. That's what I was saying. Then you're under a contract rule by that. You're contracted by a rule. When you signed your driver's license, you agreed to rules of the road. They have a booklet called that shit. And that's the owner's manual to you have an operator's license. The privilege mm-hmm. to be able to drive a car. <laughs> and you're not even a fucking driver. Are you hauling some freight and shit for somebody else or driving somebody around for money? Well, if you're not, well, you're technically just fucking traveling. But if you are in active commerce, you, are, you have to have a driver's license. State government law. It's like your car insurance. Don't you all like that one? Mandatory car insurance? You have to buy it or you don't get no freedom. In, insurance companies are third party. How do they get involved with all this kind of fucking power to fucking eat people's money? Anybody know that one by chance? How the insurance company decided <laughs> to lobby enough to force us to have to pay for auto insurance. Because you know if you ain't got it, can't drive. Can't get plates. Can't get a driver's license. Well, I think I think she'll get a driver's license, but uh, you still ain't rolling without it. I call it extortion. Fucking extortion, man. And you wonder why people are broke. You gotta ask the question. If Jimmy Bob is working at McDonald's trying to support his old lady with two kids, you're not even married. He's working at McDonald's. He's making only $16 an hour, right? The cost of living has went up over 65%, period, in the past three years. There ain't no fucking way possible he could afford to fucking do that. You know? Rent. Look, look at rent in this country. Look, That's another bundle I like to talk about. Fucking rent. You know, it was $350 last year. Now it's 800 this year. I'm a landlord. I feel I deserve it. COVID did it to me. That's a, that's another good fucking excuse. So that COVID did it to me. I mean, how do I wind up talking in this show like this? What the fuck's wrong with you people? Y'all got quiet? You just listen to me? Yeah. Hey, you, at least you're making fucking sense. Well, I didn't plan on doing story hour, you know, but Joe. Uh, Joseph, I don't know what you'll be called, Joe, Joseph, I don't give a fuck, call you whatever I want to, you know, 
I don't care what you call me. I don't care. <laughs> but boy, Crazy you know, yeah, yes, I am, but I can't help it. You, you were arguing of the point earlier of the of the the what of the what was fucking not what something. You were arguing earlier about that. I just came in, so I didn't catch it. So that's what I'm kind of curious. What your point was? Are are you still with me, Boy. Well, I'm here. I'm here. It ain't time to take a fucking nap. I see your goddamn question. Fuck. Jesus, it ain't time to take a nap. I don't know. Where'd everybody go? Is the host know. of the show still here? I guess. I'm still here. Let's go also. Gunslinger. Yeah. Yes, everybody's still here. I see four speakers on his board. I don't know. I can't see shit. I'm just everybody I'm going to chat. Is BTR killing people off? I don't know. I don't, I, I started talking. I started talking. Everybody shut the fuck up. Like, what the fuck did I do wrong? Yeah, no shit, bro. Shit, you shut them all up. Damn. Well, I, I ain't done a show in over a week. Y'all miss me that much? Kiss my ass, Jesus. God yeah, damn. No sorry. I'm sorry to a show in a week. I've been busy, guys. Turkey Day's coming up and shit. I had to do a couple of gigs. I mean, ugh. And I'm a hurting fucker, too, man. I was, oh, my God. I did get that car done. That Subaru is gone out of my shop. That fucker's history. Got rid of that motherfucker. But I need to know, is anybody interested in a 2014 Chevrolet Cruze with a 4.1, I think it's a 1.4 fucking four-cylinder, 36 miles to the gallon, under 100,000 miles on it. Anyway, it's for sale. <laughs> Dark blue. Now, now, we're, now we're going into commercials, huh? Yeah, I'm going to start selling cars, too. Fuck, why not, man? You know, so for those that may be interested, get a hold of Crazy Nation Radio on Blog Talk Radio and tell them you're interested in the 19, or 2014 Chevrolet Chevy Cruze uh, with the 1.4-liter uh, fuel-injected turbocharged uh, car. It is a four-door. It has air. Uh, heat, uh, no sunroof, uh, but it does have everything else I think you would need in a common luxury disposable car. Once it's empty, you just throw it away. Check your local area well, at recycling facility to recycle that vehicle. You know, for, for one who's, who's always bitching about all of the, the, uh, YouTube commercials. Here you are. Listen to yourself. See what it's done to me, boy? See what it's done? See what it's done? Yeah, see what it's done. Yep. Are you paying too much on your energy price? <laughs> this boy has invented the ultimate tool for you. It's, it's, it's going to take the heating industry by storm. They'll never be able to handle it. Take two ricotta pots and a candle and heat them up and use a computer fan to pull the heat off the ricotta pots. And you will have instant heat of a little tea candle lamp. You know, uh, yeah, uh, candle, yeah, tea candle. Yeah, you will heat your house. You will sweat it so much. You will not, can't take off enough skin to stay cool. 
It was unbelievable. Order now while the supplies last. They're going to be going out of the door so fast we can't hold them. And if you buy, if you act now, you can get three of them for a hundred bucks. Three of them, you know, for one hundred dollars. Or by by itself, it's eighty nine ninety nine plus shipping and handling, and some other couple couple pieces we're going to throw in there too. But don't worry, we will get one to you as soon as we can. If there's any left, are available. So order right now. Yeah, that's so. a good deal. That's a good deal. Yeah, it is a sweet deal. Yeah, <laughs> but it's bullshit. It's been tested for both of Them outlet, them wall heaters, the little wall, you plug them into the, to the socket, but they're a heater. You seen them? Oh, yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what I'm referring to. Them things are junk. They're fucking junk and they're fucking dangerous. If that's the wall like that, shit, man. Are you fucking retarded? And the other thing is you don't know how the wiring is in the fucking house. You know, I wouldn't recommend it for, like, modular homes or fucking mobile homes, shit like that. Don't plug that bitch in the wall. But people will. They fucking will. will. Yep, they fucking will. Pretty soon you'll start seeing those fuckers all over the place. They'll pepper the fucking country pretty soon with them. Yeah. Whatever happened with going outside and cutting some fucking wood and splitting it, you know, doing some work. Get outside and do some goddamn work. Fucking American people, swear to God. All you want is fucking drive-thrus and remote controls, goddamn. And cell phones. American people's... Here, this is just an opinion of mine, but here's something. I think the American people would rather do without their assholes than their cell phones. You know what? What do well, you think? Would. Yeah. Fuck my asshole. My phone is much well, more important. You got you got you got to remember now that that the American people are so full of shit right now that they wouldn't know the difference. I don't think they did, boy. I really don't. And you know, I always talk about going to Walmart and shit. You know, and it gets more more. Every time I go in there, I feel like I'm in the movie Idiocracy. You ever seen that movie? <laughs> That's yeah. <amazing. laughs> Yeah. Well, it's all yeah, like I, I, I was watching. I was watching those those idiot uh, those idiot TikTokers celebrating uh, their their virtue signaling accomplishment of reading Osama bin Laden's letter to America. I guess the dummy stopped reading after he got finished bashing the United States. Because man, there was, he was talking. He spent most of the letter talking about sexual degeneracy. And feminism and shit. And all these stupid-ass, silly, little, vapid-headed, idiotic college uh, uh, women um, is celebrating their own doom if people like that ever get control and institute Sharia law. It was comical. <laughs> yeah, it is. That would have been funny. That would have been funny. That would have been funny. Oh, my life has changed. I read 20 minutes of my life, my world outlook and view has changed. They got metal all in their faces. They got their faces pierced. They got nose pierced. Like, you think they'd be able to get away with that shit in a Sharia-governed country? Are you sick, serious? They'd all your degenerate That's ass it. up there whooped off and toss you the hey. fuck off. Hey, oh, yeah. Sarge, have, have you ever li- yeah. lifted the, the, the veil on a hijab to make sure... 
Uh, actually, no. Uh, when I was over there, uh, uh, no, I didn't want to fuck with that shit. No, sir. Uh, uh, you don't know what the people I'm, were going to do when we go out to that stuff, man. They were really touchy about that kind of, especially if they consider you to be a crusader. Yeah. Well, I was, I was just wondering, I mean, you were, I mean, uh, no, man, I wasn't fucking with it. Uh-uh. Talking, no. talking about, about no, all, I wasn't about fucking all with cars. it. No, I wasn't over there that long, so I figured I can wait till I get back home. No, uh-uh. Well, you know, I went. No, let's see. No, no, no I went. Nope. No, nope. I went. I went to. Uh, I went over uh, to Russia. Oh, in the nineties to do some work. And uh, the the amazing thing I saw over there was how well the women and how conscious they were of making themselves look good as compared to the women over here or uh, oh, trying to make themselves look as ugly as possible. There oh no! Many of them were no, no, no. Many of them were attractive enough. I'm worried about the crazy ass men. I ain't, uh, no. Yeah, Russian women. Are I went in looking motherfuckers, man. No, no. Oh no. my god! I'm. Th- I should go back to Russia. I fucked up. I should stay over. Fuck. I see. I got a buddy of mine. He's a guitarist. He's got a Russian wife. You ought to see his daughters and their and their fucking sisters and cousins. And shit, like by the fuck. Man, you lucky best. He's one ugly motherfucker, too. So, man, some ugly people can get this fine shit like that kill me. He goes, fuck, Ron, it's money. I said, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can t- I I tell, tell you this. Our women over here spent twice as much time getting themselves looking ugly as those women over there got them spent getting themselves looking uh, pretty. Yeah, they're some good-looking women. I ain't gonna lie about that. That's true. Like I said, all it's the cultural shit that uh, turns me off, man. I'm not interested in going jump through all them goddamn hoops. Well, no, I'm I, I'm not saying one way or the other. Now, Russia but, might not. Know. Russia or Ukraine might not be so bad. I'm talking about in the Middle East. Oh no, no, no. I'm. You know who cares about the Middle East? I mean, yeah. they do produce. I mean, those that are allowed to show it, you know, show pretty well. You know, yeah, they got no, no, but, man. Ain't, ain't no, but, ain't no one group know, of people got no monopoly on 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 fine. You know what I mean? So they got them there, but it's all other baggage you got to carry along with it. It just turns me off, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta gotta be careful what you what you pick, you know. No, I guess it's buy and beware for just sure. Never, just just never know what you're gonna get when you buy into an apple. <laughs> or a box of chocolates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know. See where is this? <clears throat> All right, hey guys. boy, uh, are you? Where did what? 
When's Ron Rex? When are you doing a show again, man? I'm you right, show man. In a while. I'm right. Yeah, I've been busy. I hear you. I had to fly out of state and do a gig. Hey. With a fucking... Uh, hey, Boyd. No fucking call. Yeah. Are you any... What? Are you anywhere near South Anchorage, Alaska? Uh, yeah. You got two killed in a shooting at your Walmart parking lot in South Anchorage, Alaska today. 11 hours ago. Huh. That'd be damn that's interesting. You know, that's, yeah, only that's a, a, ma- that's that's a massacre by uh, Alaska standards, ain't it? Yeah, don't fucking Eskimos. Yeah, it's only about two miles from here, if that. Oh, shit. Well, you're sitting right on top of it. Damn. Holy shit. I'll put it in the chat. Yeah. Room. Shoot. Ow. Anyway, the reason I've right been gone, for y'all to know, I've been there. working with a tribute band. So that's why I've been gone. He's doing the show. I just got back today. Well, look, guys, I got to go uh, take off because I got to finish watching uh, episodes of uh, Bass Reeves on the Paramount series. That had to be the baddest motherfucking lawman of the old West. Man, that dude was... Hey, Sarge. Hey, Sarge, I did a bit in the beginning of the show for you. I did George Washington for you, man. Oh, well, yeah, I I I love listening to that. You know I think he's the greatest American ever lived. He was. No two ways about it. But like I said, I'm going to go look at this series on another great American, yeah, man. Bass right, Reeves. Yeah, I'm getting ready to Bass Reeves, man. Bass Reeves was yeah. just, I mean, it, it sounds like somebody just made up a bunch of shit to make somebody sound like they're a legend. But all of his cases probably are documented through the court system. What he did as a lawman is unbelievable. 3,000 some arrests. This dude killed 19 motherfuckers. Who? Making 3,000 some arrests. Yeah. Who? Bass Reeves. Yeah, he was the baddest law man of the Old West. Man, his story is unbe-fucking-leavable. Yep, sure is. He was, a deputy, he was a deputy U.S. marshal. He was a former slave who, who, who wound up, as, when he escaped being a slave, he went to the Cree Nation in Oklahoma Territory. He lived with them for several years. He learned the language. He knew the ways. He knew the territory. Then when he, uh, then uh, a deputy, uh, uh, U.S. Marshal came out looking for a deputy who knew this guy's reputation as a crack shot, a good hunter, and someone who could speak Cree, and he recruited him to be a U.S. Marshal. And he became a deputy U.S. Marshal, eventually a full-fledged U.S. Marshal. And this dude did shit like you would not fucking believe, man. He would wear disguises. I, I, he would I wear disguises in order to trap outlaws. He would catch. No. What's the catch for him? And shoot it out with him and maybe kill one or two of them. I didn't catch the first name of the character. Bass. B A S S. It's oh, on Bass. Paramount. It's a, it's a series streaming on Paramount TV. Bass. Bass Reads. That's what, yeah. A lot of people think he was the model for the Lone Ranger because the black mask that the Lone Ranger wore was supposed to actually symbolize the black face of Bass Reeves. So a lot of people say that, and I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard. And Tonto, 
his sidekick is the Indians that, uh, you know, uh, Bass Reeves regularly recruited to help him track down outlaws. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. I see. I yeah, see. Reason, man, I'm telling you, I mean, if you like the old West and stories of daring lawmen, I think, and I thought, and Wyatt Earp was a pretty bad dude, too. Now, don't get, don't get wrong. But I think Bass right. Reeves had hands over, over all of them. And do you know that he that his master his master took him into the Confederate Army with him during the Civil War and he actually fought in battles for the Confederacy. Really? And if in the and the first show actually opened with a big humongous battle scene, a Civil War battle scene, in which Bass I mean, Bass Reeves' slave master hands him a Henry rifle and drags him into the fight. It's pretty, I'll tell you, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. you got to see it. Yeah, I'm going to scope it out. Paramount Plus. Yeah, Paramount Plus, yeah. It's well this. By the way, it's the same guy that did Yellow, does Yellowstone. 1883. The that's the only reason why I watch. Yeah, I like, that, I like that guy. That guy's good. You know, he's a good director and a good writer. What's your favorite? What's your favorite western, Sarge? Real quick. Uh, my favorite western. Actually, the all. TV series of Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove, although that's a TV series, you need a movie. But Lonesome Dove was well, far and away my favorite western. I think I, I, I don't think you could do a better job than Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones did. Portraying those characters in Lonesome Dove. Oh, yeah, they were good. They were outstanding, yeah, okay. especially Robert Duvall. You don't uh-huh. get no better. Yeah. It don't get no better than he did. I mean, you can't do the West better than he did as, as Gus McCray. That was a guy, that's character's name, Gus McCray. And man, that was just outstanding. But a movie, let me see, movie, The Searchers might be one with John Wayne. I think that was John Wayne's best movie, The Searchers. Or, um, let's see, The Outlaw Josie Wales is another good one. Yeah, yeah. But The Searchers and The Outlaw Josie Wales are two of the best I can think of offhand. There's probably a couple of others. I don't know why they're not coming to me right now. Frontier Marshal. Frontier Marshal. I like that one. Uh, let's see. What's another good one? Uh, another good one was um, shit. Oh man, uh, that's Tombstone right there. The Oxbow incident was pretty good with Henry Fonda and Walter <laughs> Brennan. Um, let me see. Um, I can't find Paramount Plus, man. Wait a second here. I don't think you. I don't think you do much better than man. the the Searchers, man. Was one hard edge motherfucking movie, man. I mean, uh, John Wayne, baby, the guy would just full of hate. 
He was ready to kill his own niece. <laughs> he was full of that. Hey, but the way it all came together at the end, man, I thought that was just an out-fucking-standing movie. I swear to God, man, that movie was like a, a, a homage to the idea of the old West. So this is uh, probably one of the best. You would, have, sorry, you would have been a sheriff in the old West, huh? I would have hoped that could be. That's <laughs> 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 all, man. Bass Reeves, though, man, I tell you, man, Bass Reeves, I, I, his story is just beyond belief, man. That's all I got to say. Yeah, it is a true story. Uh, they didn't have to make. They didn't have to make up nothing about his exploits because his real life exploits were fantastic enough. Honestly, he was one bad ass motherfucker. Ain't no two ways about it. Mm. All right, guys. I guess I guess we'll wrap it up. I mean, hey man, I appreciate everybody talking tonight, man. It was good. It was good. I was listening to you guys for the last hour. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, don't forget! Oh, she wore a yellow ribbon. That's another John Wayne flick. That's pretty good, dude. Ron Rex. I still right, like. Man. I still like. Mc, I still like McClintock. I don't care what you guys say. I know a lot of people say that was a good one, but you know, I don't know, man. You know, that one. That one. I don't think it was John Wayne is best. I, I, I think like that. Red River Valley. Another John Wayne flick. Red River Valley. With Montgomery Cliff. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Another good one. Well, I just, <laughs> I just liked, the, I just liked the humor in McClintock. That was just unsurpassed. I, I actually <laughs> love Shelley nah. Winters in the Poseidon Adventure. I do. She was great. So was Ernest Borgnine. Nah. Well, the best humor in any Western movie was Blazing Saddles. Come on, oh, yeah. now. Fuck yeah. yeah. That's right. They ain't going to beat that one stick. They couldn't make Blazing Saddles today, man. Yep, yep. That was hilarious. I watched it last week, man. One of the funniest goddamn movies I ever did see, man. Cleveland Little and yeah, Alex Carrick. Yeah. Alex Carrick. Yeah, Gene Wilder. Gene fucking Wilder. <laughs> Can't get any better. Gene Wilder, yeah, man. Yeah, Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah, oh, man, little, he pretty, died young, didn't he? <laughs> he died pretty young. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.